Hello, welcome to FiresideFileMaker.com, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. Hello, I'm Michael Richard, and welcome to another edition of Fireside FileMaker. And my name is John Mark Osborne, and today it's my great pleasure to have my longtime friend and supporter, David Knight, on the podcast. Like me and like Michael, we've both been, we've all been in the FileMaker market so long, we've really seen it all. And we only have a couple hours with Dave, but we're going to try to extract everything inside his big brain. Uh, you know, we may not get there, but we'll try to get the most important stuff out. And so let me introduce Dave, uh, or actually let him introduce himself. Hi. Good, to, good to be here, Michael and and John. Um, uh, I'm happy to be here, and I think it's going to be fun talking with you guys for a bit. Great, we feel the same. So we have we known each other for for 20 years now. I, I've I just I'm getting old, so that's yeah. It's 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 got to be close to that, right? Um, boy, I think uh, first time I ever saw you was DevCon one, which was what 96 back in Santa Clara. So over 20 years, if I do my math right, yeah. And wow. even okay, even better, well. you know, I, I go back to the days when AOL had a Claris a chat room and you were, I think, at Claris at the time. Is that correct, John? Yep. yep. You, were, you were a god to me back then. I was just stumbling along and trying to learn stuff and kind of self-taught like many of us are. And man, that was just, that was huge for me. You were knocking things out of the park in terms of answering questions and supporting the community and so forth. So that, that really kind of helped me get my legs under me. Yeah. The only person I think who remembers that is you and Stephen Blackwell, because he always brings up my, my days at Claris and talks about this one Apple script problem I solved for him. <laughs> and I said, listen, Stephen, all I did was I went into the Tech Info, which is now called Knowledge Base or whatever it's called now on the website, search for what you told me, and it came up with an article, and I sent it to you, and that's all I did. But he's he's he remembers like thirty years later, still like it was mm-hmm. yesterday. So the, the genius of search, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you, you know, it's one of the best things that ever came out of tech support was that Tech Info when writing articles. Yeah, that so. was fantastic. So maybe DevCon one, yeah. So you probably saw me in a suit then. Yeah, it was it was pretty uncomfortable. It was not uh, it was not a look that I, I found that was good for you, but no, uh, <laughs> uh, no, we, we um, no, no. I know it's it's uncomfortable for for most everybody. Um, yeah, so I think you were you know first and foremost you were one of the the early rock stars. You were just up there and leading the pack with you know guys Eric Culver and you and. Petrowski and and Columbre and people like that, um, and then you know, as you continue along, uh, you know more and more presenters and more and more dev cons and all that sort of stuff. So uh, you were certainly an early mark in my career as a biometric developer. And then um, you know one of the funny things that I think is sort of full circle is I really got you know back in the I would say in the biometric five and six days I got really strong. I mean I was doing. I was working 16 hour days and doing 30 projects a year. I didn't know you weren't supposed to work that much. And I was just cranking the code. And I think a couple of years later, I want to say 2001 uh, in Orlando, you know, here I am going, oh, my God, there's there's, you know, Bob Cusick and John Mark Osborne and and Chris Moyer are these guys that were up on stage 
um, you know, teaching me things that I didn't know back in the day, a few, few years earlier. Next thing you know, we were sharing a stage uh, as a kind of an experts panel, John. I don't know if you remember that. I, I do. It was, it was, I forget who else was there. I think though. it was uh, Chris Moyer and myself and you. And I want to say Bob Cusick and I think Albert Haram Alvarez. I think that's what the panel was. And that was, like I said, that was a real, uh, uh, just a lightning bolt moment for me where I'm going, these are guys that were like, you know, heroes to me a couple of years ago. And here I am standing up on stage. And, you know, I, I think I kept up reasonably well uh, with the team and I had kind of really grown. But I, I, you know, again, I dip my hat to, I tip my hat to all the people that helped me get you know, my technical chops and get my skill set up because, boy, I leaned on the community quite a bit in those early days. But isn't that, Dave, isn't that the great thing about the community, how it really supports everybody? Oh, it's fantastic. Um, it's uh, one of the things that people outside of FileMaker and, and the community don't get. You know, my wife uh, works in the uh, animation industry. She's a recruiter. She has her own business. She and her... Uh, competitors, you know, they're friends, uh, colleagues, they'll see each other at trade shows and things of that nature. They don't share any information about, you know, what they're working on or how they work or some of their processes or whatever. It's remarkable. I tell her about the FileMaker community and I'm like, no, we, we go to developer groups, we online chat, we have all these things where everybody kind of lifts their kimono and shows you what they're doing or how they're doing it and teaches the community. So the FileMaker community is fantastic in the amount of uh, of just sharing and community and raising raising the water level so all boats float higher kind of thing. So, um, I think that's a really great thing about our community. Yeah, for sure, it, it really is. There's there's not. Uh, I know I've dealt with other communities and they try to hide their knowledge so they can have a competitive edge and and really it it actually backfires on you most of the time because when you teach somebody else you actually end up learning. Yeah. You either understand what you taught them better in a different way, or they might come back and say, hey, ask a question that you didn't think about or, or offer a point that it, it's just really, uh, for me, openness is, is the way to to, uh, to attack any kind of business. You know, one of the yeah. interesting yeah. things, and this is just an, an interesting comparison. I used to be in the art business for about 12 years, and I worked on Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco for a while, where there are lots and lots of art galleries and people would say, how does anybody make a decision based with so much to cho choose from? And the answer is that people get excited because there is a lot to choose from and they get excited to do something and buy art rather than just go to one place and they go in, walk out, walk in, walk out. And that's the end of it. So competition is good and it helps everybody in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it uh, again, without competition, uh, or encouragement or, or again, just uh, visibility into what your colleagues are doing and what your industry is doing. It really puts blinders on you, both from a technical, business, emotional, otherwise. It, it's, it's a really great thing to be a part of a vibrant community. You know, John, you're, I don't need to talk to you about public speaking. You, you know, multiple years of speaking at DevCons and showing off some of the best tips and tricks you know, your website, Database Pros, such a, a treasure trove of, of demo files and tip files that help everybody. These are not things that you're 
you know, that you're sitting there throwing out there for 10 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever. It's like, no, the, a lot of what you have done for the community is giving back uh, and raising that bar. There are so many in the community that do the same, right? So whether you do that through speaking, whether you do that through developer groups, whether you do that through downloadable tip files or whatever, that's that's all part of just raising the awareness of the community. Um, and I always feel... I'm not done learning. So if I give away one of my best techniques or something from our team that we want to show or share with the community, we're not done being smart. We're, we've got more stuff coming. So I just feel like helping helping those behind me is me just paying back for the people, you know, people like you and others that helped me in my early days too. So I think it's just a great way of keeping uh, vigor, you know, invigorating the community. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Won't even say anything on top of that because that's exactly what it's all about. Well, I will say something, but <laughs> but you know, don't don't covet your stuff because it 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 closes you off to new stuff. And when you covet, um, it, it's just going to create. Uh, you're going to be that one trick wonder. If you open up and give away, then all of a sudden stuff comes. The universe starts sending stuff your way. It's it's an unbelievable thing. If well, I think it's it. also really interesting. Um, is that even after doing this for 34 years, and I think I've been doing it for longer than the two of you, um, I'm still learning something new every single week. And it's fascinating. Right. And you see a tip and you go, that's really interesting. I wonder if I could use that in another way. And it starts our brains thinking, you know, and start we start problem solving and exploring possibilities. And just one simple idea can create an explosion of techniques and ideas and then you just share those because you didn't start with it but you've improved it right the the that's the other part you know john said something a minute ago that i want to touch back on you know uh you have to if you're going to share something you're going to learn by doing it i can't tell you uh and I was actually I was watching a I was watching a Netflix art, uh, show about Clive Davis, for, who was just an icon in the music business. And they kept talking about his his fear of falling behind and him always working hard to obtain excellence. There's a little bit of that in me. And John, I don't know if you feel the same way, but when I'm getting ready for a tip file that I'm going to share with the community or a presentation or something, I'm going yard on that stuff. I'm I'm busting my tail, looking for ways that can be broken. I'm, I'm the guy who goes, oh my God, I'm going to have really smart people in the audience that are going to poke holes in what I'm doing. So I'm going to go deep and test this thing and make sure that I've thought about it from every single angle. And that makes me a better developer, you know, because of the fear of, of you know, oh my God, he's up there showing something stupid. He's a fraud. He's an idiot. That fear of, of looking poorly in front of the eyes of my community is one of the tools that I use to go, how do I keep raising my bar, both as a developer, as a business owner, as a, a leader in the community and so forth? So I think what you said earlier, um, when you're when you're presenting or sharing, it really does force you to go put on another set of glasses, look at this from an outsider and go, is this clear? Does that make sense? Did I miss anything? And that makes you a better developer. Yeah, I think once you uh, lose that fear, then that's when you stop learning. That's when you start stop improving. That fear keeps you honest, and it's it's a it's a way that I've used to make myself a perfectionist. You've got to grasp onto the fear and go, okay, don't don't just uh, you know fumble the ball. Look at everything. Okay, what could happen? You know, let's where should I run to get to the goal line? You know, things yeah. like that. Uh, that fear can be used oh, for good yeah. and bad. Definitely. I mean. 
fear is an integral part of of everybody's life and that fear keeps you sharp doesn't mean you have to be intimidated by or scared by it but just the fact that it is there makes you more aware and more careful and more conscious and that's a great thing yeah can be a great motivator so so we want to get some some real uh, you know beginning stuff learn a little bit about you uh mr yeah. knight uh, and so we want to get some background uh, information before we get into this whole philosophical, which is great. This is the stuff I like, but I want to get the audience to know you if they don't already know you, if they haven't seen you at DevCon or the various places online, everywhere you're at. Um, how did you start working with FileMaker? Do you remember your first job or or how that all happened? Yeah, I was, um, you know, in, in broad strokes, I was a radio disc jockey back when I was about 17. And I started, I was on the air and I was reasonably good at it, but I really liked playing with the tape machines uh, and, and the mics and all that sort of stuff. Next thing you know, I go to school, I become a recording engineer and then later a record producer. So I'm working with these big consoles and, you know, working with acts like, you know, Tom Petty and Paul McCartney and Jody Watley and Prince and people like that. So I, I had a good career there. But as I was doing that, the lifestyle was really wearing on me. I had a kid. Uh, it was hard for me to spend time with and so forth. And I'm working these crazy hours. And so I'd get quiet time on occasion between jobs. And I would start building myself a little invoicing program. And I started with HyperCard and, and played with that for eh, probably three or four months. And then one of my friends, uh, who was also in the music industry, had started and said, hey, you should look at FileMaker Pro. It might be a better fit. So I pulled, uh, I think it was FileMaker 2.1. I got my mitts on that, started playing around and built myself a little invoicing program. And then I started building a listing of all the recording studios all over the world uh, and searchable. So you could say, I'm looking for a, I'm looking for a recording studio in, in, in London that's got a Steinway piano and a Neve console or something like that. So I started building these little tools that helped me in my world. And then it was funny because a couple of my friends kind of heard about it. And then one of the big recording studios in Hollywood, Conway Recording Studios, came to me and said, hey, I heard you do FileMaker. And I go, well, you know, a little bit, but, you know, I knew the industry insanely well. And I was, a, you know, kind of a ham and egg uh, developer at that point, sort of, you know, intermediate level, but, but absorbing a lot of information very quickly. And so they paid me to build them a little studio management system that would, that would book their rooms and keep track of all their microphone inventory and, and uh, create invoices for them and things of that nature. And I finished this thing like right on the heels uh, of coming up to what was a large audio convention that came to L.A. Uh, every other year called the Audio Engineering Society. So all of a sudden I got this piece of software. I've just built it for one of the top studios in L.A., and I'm like, I'm going to see if I can sell this to other people. So I bought myself a little booth, you know, put a little card table up there. I mean, I was really on a shoestring budget. And I started giving demos at this trade show. And two or three studios came by. And there was a studio in Nashville that came out and said, hey, uh, we want to we wanna buy this. And they flew me out to Nashville. I installed it and got everything running. And two or three studios in L.A. and a couple in New York. And that's really what kind of put me on the map. And it was interesting because um, it wasn't that I was this brilliant FileMaker developer at that point in time. You know, on a one to 10, I was probably a six. 
but I knew the industry really well and could have, you know, detailed conversations about the workflow associated with it. So that's one of the things that I liked about FileMaker. I was not at that point, I was not a technical whiz and I wasn't the smartest guy in the recording industry. But when you put software and the recording industry together, very quickly, I became one of the guys that could kind of speak in either language. And that helped me advance pretty quickly. And then gently over time, you know, started accumulating other customers in different industries and uh, did that for a while uh, under my little first company name, which was NYTEC. Um, and then met, um, you know, at, at the time I was getting better and stronger. And I met a woman uh, who was also a one person shop in L.A. And we ended up starting up a, a, a small consultancy called D-Works. And we did that for a couple of years and we we grew Pretty quickly, um, we started hiring some people. We became FileMaker partners, you know, which was the equivalent of a platinum back then. And we started, you know, a developer group and and a bunch of other things. And then left there after we split up after three years or so. And then I went to work for another shop, uh, opened up an LA office for a company called the Support Group, and did that for a few years. And then finally uh, split off from that, started up Angel City Data in about two thousand four. Uh, and we've been going ever since, growing every year and adding more team and staff and clients. And here we are. So let me ask you, uh, you are commonly referred to by the nickname Speedy. Uh, do you remember who gave you that name and why? Absolutely. Uh, a mutual friend of ours by the name of Stephen H. Blackwell gave me that name. Um, I, I think it was, I, I don't recall... But I think it was based on possibly two premises. Uh, you know, in the FileMaker community, there are probably three speed demons with respect to speaking speed. Uh, I would say Darren Terry, uh, myself, and uh, Andrew LeCates. We, we are all pretty rapid speakers, if you've seen any of us. Uh, so I don't know if it was based on my speaking dialect, which is about four to five times the speed of talking with Mr. Blackwell. Uh, or uh, the fact that in early days of FileMaker, you know, my passion still to this day is how to make FileMaker systems run fast. You know, how, how can we take a process that's really slow or pokey and really streamline or optimize that? So I don't recall whether it was because uh, Stephen liked my, my rapid speaking or my ability to apply uh, uh, optimization that produced faster results inside of FileMaker, but it's one or both of those reasons. Yeah, I think Stephen, if you've ever heard him speak, is is fairly yeah, slow, yeah. you know, southern yes. accent. So I can see why he would uh, he would probably call you Speedy. But I think he probably also used that for Darren Terry, which I know he knows Darren very yeah. well too. Darren's a fantastic. Darren's yeah, I a fantastic think um, developer. I got the nickname JMO, but you started it as a yeah. JOMO. It was interesting how it evolved, and, and now everybody literally calls me JMO. Yeah. You know, just kind of. John, I've yeah, been recording podcasts for a year with you, and I never knew that everybody calls you JMO. Yeah. Um, only people <laughs> I like. <laughs> I, I, you know, the funny thing was, John, I'm not sure you'd have to speak to this, but I think at the onset, I think I started labeling you that 
And I think it was, you know, and I've got, I've got, it's funny because if I'm talking with Bob Shockey, Bob and I, Bob used to work for me, you know, 20 years ago, and he's now a good friend. Our wives know each other. We hang out. I've always called him Bobbo. Uh, and it's because, you know, like the old advertising agency guys from like Mad Men or something. I'll say, hey, Jimbo, how you doing? And hey, Bobbo. Uh, so I started calling him Bobbo. <laughs> but I, I got the feeling that when we, I started calling you uh, Jomo, or JMO at the time, I thought it was sort of uncomfortable for you initially. And then I, I think you kind of just embraced it and said, yeah, that's who I am. Yeah, I think I think you pretty accurately portrayed that. I was like, I was like, who's why is he calling me Jomo? You know, um, but yeah, no, I got used to it and I, and I kind of like it. Um, in fact, uh, you know, if I if I play any games online, it'll be my name. My name will be JMO now. So. You're welcome. So it's stuck. Yeah. You, well, you you only got you got the, the initial JOMO. I, I'm not sure how it got changed to JMO, but eventually yeah. it did. So, well, there's lots worse things you um, could be called, John, and frequently are. Yeah, I know. Right. Well, mostly by you. Right. <laughs> So let's talk about the developer conference, which we have a little bit. You, you, and we don't have to mention me. This is yeah. about you. Um, you're one of the best public speakers in the FileMaker market. Uh, how did you get so good? And do you have any advice for people who are presenting? Because I've seen a lot of terrible presenters out there, and they could use some advice. And or maybe somebody's just nervous. They they want to present, but they they feel like you know. What can you tell them to make them feel comfortable up there? You know how how do you do this whole thing? It's you know it's um, thank you for saying so. Um, one of the things, first and foremost, again, I come from a radio background, so I'm used to you know not not only hey gee you're talking and there's you know there's three million people listening to you. There's a certain amount of you'd have to have a certain amount of comfort with that. You know, as a DJ, I would often be at some concert. And next thing you know, I'm you know, the the, the station is uh, sponsoring a local concert. So the next thing you know, you're standing up on stage and there's 5000 people out there and you're introducing Huey Lewis on the news or something like that. So those types of things <clears throat> help me. Um, be okay in front of people. You know, I got used to that. I was the in, in band in high school. I was the drum major. So I'm used to standing out in front of a crowd of people and giving orders and, you know, people looking at me. So I think I got used to it relatively early on in my life. In terms of the speaking, uh, single best thing I could say that really um, helped me was, was, again, starting FM Disc. This was a group that we started in our office in 19, gosh, I want to say 19... Uh, it's a 1999, something like that. I want to say right around there. And um, yeah, so the next thing you know, there's four or five people standing there and you're just kind of looking over each other's shoulders and let me show you how I built this value list and, you know, that sort of stuff. But as it grew and you're standing in front of 10 people now and 20 people now, um, you get to really get a chance to hone what's working in a very low uh threat environment, right? Nobody's going to chastise you. You don't feel like there's a huge amount of a criticism coming your way. So it, it's a great way, you know, so, so how, what does that turn into? That turns into speak uh, when you get a chance to, you know, if it's a small meetup, if it's a developer group meeting, if it's a couple of colleagues, if it's a customer presentation at your company, uh, you know, find those opportunities where you can kind of put together the agenda, break it down into the smallest of, of pieces uh, and convey those concepts uh, effectively and crisply. Um, and that's, those are all going to help you be not just a better presenter, but a better salesperson, you know, when you're reaching out with clients or if you're, if you're working with a team of people to help convey 
your ideals and, and, and goals and so forth, it's really good practice. So start small. Um, and then you can get to the point where you get more comfortable in larger venues and higher pressure and, uh, and, and you can think on your feet. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can, I can do a five second elevator pitch. I can do a 30 second, you know, conversation with somebody and pitch our business. I practice those things. And then I can, you know, if I'm sitting in, in real time on a presentation, if somebody flashes me the three minute sign, you know, it takes good practice, but I know how to move towards the closing and, and get towards the finish line. Um, so a, a lot of it's just experience and practice. Uh, you know, it's look very, for opportunities. It's very interesting, Dave, because you've just encapsulated and said what I've always, what I've been saying for the last 30 years, you've got to get lots of practice and it's almost the most important skill you, you can, you can have is to be able to present effectively, whether it's to one person or a thousand. And if you can get up in front of an audience and not be paralyzed by fear and realize that everybody there wants you to succeed, and if you can get the audience on your side with humor or really fascinating stuff, you're on a winner. And uh, if you can get to that point, it's, it's a fantastic experience to be able to do that. And, and like John alluded to earlier, me presenting means I'm going to learn the topic inside and out. And that educates me, right? That that's a good thing too. So, so the, I would say the path for me, you know, yes, I did radio for a lot of years and I can go into the radio voice and talk like Dave, you know, I can, I can do that back, you know, in the day, the way I used to do it, but um, getting comfortable in a small venue, you know, here's four or five people at an FM disc meeting, Getting into a larger venue, here's 30 people, 40 people at an FM disc meeting, and then graduating to, hey, I'm speaking at DevCon, and there's 800 people in the audience. Um, and then, I mean, a lot of the people in the FileMaker community don't know this. I'm a professional speaker. I speak at other events. I get paid for it. I'm a keynote speaker at business conferences, things of that nature. So I'm not just a FileMaker uh, guy that people know from speaking at DevCon. It's like, no, I do public speaking on a, on a range of topics and business conferences and technology conferences and things of that nature too. So I really enjoy it. I think if uh, you don't have the opportunity to speak at a group or, or in front of people, possibly just videotaping yourself and playing it back and sharing it with some of your friends, because everybody's got a video camera now. It's easy to record yourself. Uh, just do that and, you, and you'll get more and more comfortable because that's a great way to practice. Yeah. Right there. You know, if you've got a spouse, honey, would you mind? I'm going to do a 15 minute tip and trick presentation at a meetup. Uh, can you sit for 15 minutes and just, oh, you're looking at your hands too much or you're uh, you're sneezing a lot or or you're saying um or but. But if you don't have that, that spouse or other person to give you crit critique. Yeah. Having that video looking at yourself objectively, um, practicing in front of your dog, you know, whatever those things are. Um, but yeah, your point about the video stuff, it, it really kind of points out, you'll really hear how much you're saying uh, the same word or how many times you're pausing or, or any sort of um, attributes that you're inserting into your presentation. And then you can work consciously to kind of weed those out. I'm going to ask you a question, but proceed it with a story of my one of my most memorable presentations at DevCon. And it was just one moment at the beginning because you were talking about how you've got to have, you know, maybe a little humor or something, or, you know, I think Michael said that, or you have to have some kind of interesting information. So I tended to, to make fun of people. That's just mm -hmm. my humor. 
Um, I don't take it personally. That's just who I am. I just have fun yeah. like that. And so I was at DevCon, and and the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm up there, and, and people are kind of still sitting down and kind of rustling around, and it's maybe like the first thirty seconds of it. I'm like, I'm all just because you put an X or a G or a Z in front of a field name doesn't make it a global field. And everybody laughed, you know, cause they all know they've done it before. You have to go that you can't just name it. Right. You've got it. So, so that's what I did. I'm, I'm curious. Did you, do you have any memorable moments in your, your career uh, of speaking? It doesn't even have to be FileMaker, but it would be better if it was FileMaker, I guess people could. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that, um, one of the things that I enjoyed, which, you know, I'd get up on stage and my mouth would immediately go dry and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that I really got into, and I, I still do this today, is the the chat with the audience before the session starts. So instead of sitting there, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm watching the stopwatch, I've got five seconds, three seconds to, and then now start talking. No, I've got the mic hot. And as people are walking in, I'm going, oh, there's, hey, John, how are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be up on stage? Some, you know, I'm, I'm chit-chatting with the audience. Uh, and the other thing that I always do, too, um, I don't just have the slide deck up there with the name of the slide. I've always got it. I've got a loop up there running of something interesting to look at. So if I'm talking about design, I've got a slide deck up there that shows the title of the session. But it's also revolving images up there and things that are interesting and engaging. So as people are walking by. They've got, um, you know, they've got some, hey, wow, this thing, look at all these different things that are showing up there. And I want to see what the session is about. So I try to engage people, hook them in with that. I like to banter with the audience a bit. I always, in my early days of speaking, I would, I would grab Darren Terry. Darren, can you sit in the front row? I need, you know, I need to have somebody that I can focus on and talk to. And, and I, I remember, um, gosh, probably one of my biggest sessions, I did a session on script triggers. I want to say 2010. And it was so it was one of those things where I was a pretty popular speaker at that point. And the three other session slots that they had were a little bit yawn worthy. They weren't as strong. So here it's Dave Knight talking about script triggers, which had just gotten released. And so I had a I had a room of about 800 people and it was which was you know like three quarters of, of the population of DevCon at that time. So I was like, oh, my God, this is a really big crowd. I better not. You know, and I distinctly remember focusing on Kate Lee. Uh, in the audience. I just happened to see her face. She had a smile on her face and I was looking at her. And so I was talking to Kate. I, anytime I would look up from my screen, I would I would look around the room, but I would always kind of fixate on her and talk about, you know, as I'm talking to a friend, Kate's a great, a great person and a nice lady and I enjoy talking with her. So I was just, for whatever reason, I locked onto her and that just kind of gave me comfort. Like I'm talking with a friend now instead of presenting to, you know, hundreds of people. So that was helpful. So I've got a, John, I've got a, something that I use frequently when I do public speaking, I say, look, everybody here in this room is smarter than me. Well, maybe not you, John. And it always gets a laugh. Yeah. When, when you say the part about well, not you, John, or... <laughs> <laughs> I got to turn right back around on you, Michael. Hey, one... One time I was at, uh, uh, this remind me about the front row thing. One time I uh, was speaking at DevCon and these people in the front row I'd given some in-class training to were in the front row with these signs, you know, 
wait, you know, kind of like they were at a rally right. or something saying how great I was like, so I focused on them the whole time and because they were totally right. into me and, and you, you're not going to get a whole audience of everybody who's totally into no. you. Some people actually be there because they hate you and don't focus on them because you're not there to present to them. They're just, they're just trolling you and whatever they're doing. You're, you focus on the, the 90% of the people who really want to be there and love you. And, and if you can find one person in the audience, yes, that really helps out. Cause that whole entire time, I just went over to these people, the signs and, and looked at them and it just kind of lifted me up. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, you, you talk about those jokes, those warm ups too. One of the things that I always like to poke fun at is, you know, generally you're coming in, uh, as a presenter, you know, everybody's checked into the hotel, everybody's walked around, perhaps the keynote has already happened. If there's something funny in the keynote, you're like, wow, I, I thought I talked fast. Andy LaCates the other day, you know, I can, you can, you can play to the topical stuff. I remember in the Fontain Blue in, in Miami, like, oh, did everybody else see that they have a low jack on their M&Ms in the, in the hotel room? If you lift them up for more than six seconds, you bought an $18 pack of M&Ms, you know, or whatever that was. Uh, and the, uh, the little Smurf villages that we had, uh, I think that was in, uh, was that San Antonio? I, I want to say San Antonio or, or Dallas were under the bubble. We had the little Smurf village. So we, I was talking about we're really at SmurfCon now. Uh, so yeah, anything you can use like that, uh, just to kind of warm up and get yourself, get the nerves and the, and the, the jitters out of yourself and get yourself warmed up speaking, um, are going to be helpful, I think. Isn't it interesting though, how you just mentioned, John, the people in there in the audience are not, they're not into you. They're looking for you to fall flat on your face. I published a YouTube video on using related value lists about three years ago, and it's had 911 views and a few quite mm. a few positive comments and this week i got a comment from somebody saying and what was i supposed to learn from this and i went absolutely nothing <laughs> right yeah you just got to kind of ignore those people because there's always oh, going to yeah. be haters out there and uh, that's why i've learned through my career is that if you're getting up there the first time to speak don't don't worry about those yeah. people it's, it's not a concern of yours. Focus on a friend. Have a friend, like Dave said, have a friend come and sit in the front row. It'll really help you right. out. But let's switch, uh, let's switch again here. And uh, I want to find out a little bit about your involvement as a board member in the Burbank Chamber of Commerce, which is where your company is located, right? Burbank, California. Um, so I have been a member. I'm a member of a couple of chambers of commerce. I've involved a little bit. Uh, here and there on the Burbank, or pardon me, on the Glendale Chamber of Commerce. Um, I've been in the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce for years and, and have been pretty active there as well, which is much larger. It's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's Hollywood. It's, it's, you know, it's Paramount Studios and Man's Chinese Theater and big, big institutional stuff there. Uh, and then Burbank, which is a city of about 100,000 people. We're in Southern California. We're the media capital of the world. You know, I can look out my window right now and see Nickelodeon. I can, I'm, I'm 300 yards away from Disney headquarters where my house is. Uh, I walk, you know, I drive past Warner Brothers every day. We've got Cartoon Network that's a block away from where I'm sitting. And then hundreds, casting directors, post-production, prop rental, all that sort of stuff. So so I'm in the Burbank. I, I live in Burbank. My office is in Burbank. And so I've, I've been here and I'm like, you know what? I'm part of the community and, and these organizations are good for your business. They're good for engaging in the community and learning who the other business leaders are 
who the the city fathers are. You know, you're you're, you're having access to the mayor. I, I know the mayor personally. I know all the I think all almost all the city council members here. Um, so I know a lot of the captains of industry that run the city, and I've been involved and engaged, and and I've gotten you know I've gotten some work through this engagement. I've got vendors that you know the person who we get our 401k from is somebody I met at a chamber mixer, you know, uh, et cetera. So there's there are people that I've met that I've got nice business relationships with, and so I've been doing this for a lot of years and. Uh, finally, they kind of reached out the group, you know, two or three of the members of the board reached out and said, you know, Dave's got a lot of great ideas. He's got some passion for this sort of stuff. And they brought me in. And so I've been a board member probably about three and a half years now. And, and I tend to be um, the guy that's I'm a real, real champion for small business. I just I am a huge fan of the entrepreneurial spirit of you know, whether it's a guy in his basement or a small manufacturing company of 50 people. But I'm, you know, there's there's a lot of big industry in Burbank. You know, Disney's a something like a $60 billion organization. They're one of the largest corporations in California and they're here. So they are fine. They're going to do fine without a lot of city help or, or chamber of commerce help. But for the small guys, uh, I love finding ways to help the businesses thrive and to help my own business uh, when when possible and just deeper engagement in the community that I live in and that I run my business in. So um, so I've been a board member for a number of years now and I'm in charge of, uh, I'm helping to direct the entertainment committee. We, we have an entertainment committee that we're spinning up. Netflix just moved to their animation division to Burbank. So, you know, I'm meeting with, with uh, vice presidents, leadership, CEOs, pe uh, people at various entertainment industry organizations here and talking with them about how the chamber can work with them and help their business and uh, alleviate, you know, what are some problems? Is it a parking problem? Is it traffic? Is it uh, getting um, permits uh, approved in a timely fashion? What are the things that, that businesses struggle with and how can the chamber work with the city to help smooth those things out? So it's been good. Yeah, I think you're probably one of the only FileMaker developers who's involved with their local government, which I, I thought was so interesting when I prepared for this. And I mean, I don't know everything about you. And I, I just thought, wow, what a great idea. And you just explained what a great idea it is. And you started out slow. You met one person and then you met a couple people. And then all of a sudden you knew everybody in the government. And, uh, you know, they can it's really helped your career, I think, uh, in business. Yeah, it's and it's well. a, the interesting thing. You know, one of the things I'll tell you also, if you, you know, when you spoke earlier about DevCon, John, I've probably, you know, I, I've got to be mentioned in probably the top, you know, top five, top 10 most frequent presenters at DevCon over the years. You're on that list. Probably, you know, Andy, of course, Chris Hippolyte, a number of guys like that who have done a lot. I'm probably one of the only people that you look at the the the, the topics that I've covered. I'm talking about script triggers over here. Now I'm talking about consulting firms and how to run a good shop. I'm talking over here about design and interface. And over here, I'm talking about how to sell better. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an odd duck in that, you know, I came from a very serious background. Uh, you know, my early days in FileMaker, like I said, back around 2001, 2002, I feel like I was, you know, I was, uh, I was just a, a monster coder at that point. I was really, really strong in the platform. As I grew my business and became more uh, focused on on the 
the entrepreneurial side of things, I've shifted much more towards, you know, marketing and sales and hiring good staff and retaining customers and things of that nature. And so that's where a lot of my presentations in the last few years have kind of anchored. But yeah, I think um, I think people in the FileMaker community sometimes focus so much on the technology and what it is and don't pay attention to the communities around them and how to run a good business and how to hire smart people and and some of those types of things. And I see that as uh, my role in the FileMaker community right now is I am not uh, Todd Geist going to tell you some new uh, fangled things about JSON that help your technology stack. Uh, I'm, I understand it and I can get my hands dirty with some stuff here and there. But, but I feel like I'm more of, a, of an advocate for how to run a good business and how to sell and market and, and present your business well and things of that nature. And I do that both, again, within the FileMaker community, but also within the greater business community of Burbank. David, and don't you find that that is actually enormously satisfying? And perhaps in some ways, it's more satisfying than doing the FileMaker coding. Um, it can be, you know, it, uh, it it puts you on an even plane. If you're sitting there going, I just came up with a script that does this magical thing. You go, great. I can't share that with my bookkeeper, my tax guy, my uh, my lawyer, my, you know, my web developer, whatever necessarily. Business practices that I have and that I use and that I advocate for are things that are universal. I can sit down with any one of my customers and go, have you thought about marketing a little bit differently? You're looking at... Uh, hiring this kind of person or that, so I'm. I would. I, I get a reasonable a reasonable amount of work right now that doesn't touch FileMaker. That is about business consulting and and advising and so so forth. And to your point, Michael, yeah, it's incredibly rewarding to go. I helped push this business. Not I did this code or I love this interface, but I helped push this business uh, into a stronger position or or made them a better. Uh, shop for what they do or something like that. So yeah, there's, and, and to the, the presentation aspect, you know, we've got a number of people on our team that give presentations to developer groups and so forth. And, you know, one of the rising stars on our team is Jake Johnson, who spoke at the last, uh, you know, Clark's Connect and has spoken at DevCon and FM Discs before and so forth. He's a fantastic presenter. And I got to say, there's a part of me, you know, you sit there and go, I used to be a baseball player. I used to hit home runs. But now I'm the coach of a team and I've got some home run hitters. That's fantastic. It's so amazing to look at one of your, you know, one of your little um, fledglings that have grown up and gotten stronger and are doing fantastic work and presentations and things like that. So I love looking at my team and, and spotting their growth and highlighting that to the rest of the team. I think it's really, really important. Yeah, I think mentoring, uh, which is what you're talking about, is probably the most rewarding thing you can do to be honest, because you, you yeah. see the light go on and you go, yes, they get it. Wow. Fantastic. I, I love yeah, there's, that. There's a, there's a number of DevCon, like I have historically helped a lot of DevCon presenters over the years because they were, I really want to speak. I really like the feeling of me being a speaker and so forth. So, you know, I went over to John Howell's house and had barbecue with him three or four weeks in a row before he ever presented for his first time. And I was giving him some tips and helping him out. And uh, subsequent years, you know, I've had multiple people in the community who are doing their first time presentation. And I go, hey, raise your hand, come come see me, do your presentation with me. I'll give you some some tips and some tricks and let, let me mentor and help coach you a little bit. And let's get you speaking efficiently. So there's now, uh, there's a document I kind of put together 
there's usually a, a speaker list. Uh, when, when, when a conference gets ready, they have an online chat for just the people who are presenters. And for the last probably five or six years, I've got a document that I've just continued to kind of edit and it's speaking tips for DevCon. So it's, it's, you know, make sure that you have your, make sure that you have the fonts big enough, make sure you keep your eyes up and look at the back row, not the front, make sure you don't put text on the bottom third of your slides, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Stuff that John knows inherently from doing it as much as I have. But, but I tried to help put this one document together. So when a new, you know, some 25-year-old kid is going to speak at DevCon for the first time, here's this document by Dave Knight with some do's and don'ts that are just good reminders and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see uh, the young people in our community spring forward. And anything we can do to help them is, is highly rewarding. You know, I'd like to... Uh, my, my number one tip is to make sure that when you come back from the restroom, you pull your zipper right. up. <laughs> you, and I, now, I've got one for you. I was last, not last year, 2020, 2019, City of Burbank is doing their first economic summit. We're going to have this big economic summit. We're going to have all the studios there, blah, blah, blah. So there's all these different presentations about the media industry and getting venture capital to the city and so forth. And then I was the anchor leg of the entire show, which was a panel of experts. And so I'm up there as the mediator and I'm asking people, here's somebody from Disney and here's somebody from Warner Brothers and some other companies are represented there. And we're asking them, you know, what do you see the future and all this stuff? And the city of Burbank photographer, he's a friend of mine. And he, you know, I was, I was up there at the podium and so forth. And he, he, uh, he comes to me afterwards and he goes, yeah, uh, that was great and fantastic. I got some great pictures. And he goes, you know, I saw through my lens something that other people didn't. I go, what? He goes, I saw the glint from your zipper, which was open during the entire presentation. <laughs> Oh, no. But thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, it wasn't open wide. And he said, I, I only caught it because the glint of your zipper kind of flashed into my camera lens. But uh, nobody he else. He couldn't see the color of no, your no, He couldn't no. see the color of your yeah, underwear. No, thankfully, I wasn't going <laughs> commando or anything. But uh, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so yeah, oh, as, a, as an experienced, as experienced of a presenter that I am, John. Yeah. Guess what? That was two years ago. And I, you know, thankfully. So is that on your list? That's not on my list. No. <laughs> It should be. I clearly, it it should, should I guess be, it right? should, right? In terms of fiascos <laughs> right. behind the mic, that's that's got to be one of the top ones, right? I mean, you start off your little list with the fun stuff, right? right? You know, don't leave your mic live yeah. when you go to yeah. the restroom because you're nervous before your presentation. Make sure right? you're wearing pants <laughs> and that they're zipped up properly. That's that should be at the top. No, right. no toilet paper stuck to your shoe. You know, any of those types of things, right? <laughs> oh, good. So, so let's we give everybody a chance to plug their company. It's not a, a bad thing. Uh, we uh, people are going to want to contact you. You're you're a really easy guy to get along with. I I tend to kind of uh, you know keep to myself for the most part. Um, and you really decide to become friends with me because of all the times we've been to places, and I appreciate that. And I you know I like you about that. Uh, and but we want to give a chance for you to to tell people about your company because people are going to be calling you. Uh, because they they like how you do things, and if they're especially if they're located in Burbank or or LA or something like that. So tell us about Angel City Data. Where is it located? Which notes Burbank already, but what services do you offer? What awards have you won? Anything you want to tell us about you know Angel City Data? Maybe your URL things yeah. like that. So we're at angelcitydata.com. Uh, we've got a brand new website coming out probably in the next month or two. I think it's going to drop some jaws. Uh, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, so what is our company? Uh, in three words, beautiful business software. So we like to get things nice and concise, and we try to deliver our message very quickly and easily. 
we want our, our systems are always going to be beautiful. We're going to try to make them look good. We're going to try to make them work good. We're going to support them well. So the pillars of our company are those three things. Number one, design. If, if, you know, uh, if you good designs make people happy to use them, if people use the systems, the business gets a benefit. So first and foremost, let's make things really nice and usable and understandable and pretty to look at and enjoyable to use. So design is a huge piece of who we are. Uh, business, I would say, you know, you know, many of the shops that we get compared to or get, you know, compete against and so forth, really lead with their technology. We don't. We understand technology. We know how to use it. We are about business. We mean business is what we say. And, and uh, or one of the other metaphors that we use on our website, business in front, part, you know, technology out back um, to use the metaphor of the, the mullet. Right. Um, we're about business. We want to find where you're struggling, where you're, where you've got friction. Uh, we want to find those op options. We want to monetize them. Wow, you've got you know ten or fifteen people on your team that are hitting this, that are doing this manual process five times a day at fifteen minutes a pop times the average salary. That's a forty thousand dollar process. If we can put a thirty thousand dollar system that gets rid of that process with one button, uh, then it pays for itself before the first year. So the business component of make this thing have high ROI. That's a huge piece of what we are. And then the third part, uh, support, you know, when your system goes down, you know, if you want to watch people scramble for the phone, it's, there's a server down at such and such client, we're going to drop whatever we do. I don't care if it's your client. I don't care if, you know, what, what's going on. If you're working on a proposal or you've got a sales presentation or whatever, everything comes second to, you know, a server down or a client, you know, that's disabled. So, you know, design, business and support. Uh, and so I look at our company and I go, we have been fortunate as a company to have won three FileMaker Excellence Awards. They don't give those out, you know, discriminately to anybody. Uh, and we've won uh, FileMaker Excellence Awards. We won Outstanding Design of the Year. We won Business Partner of the Year for the Americas. So that's, you know, the best shop on two continents that year. And we also won for outstanding support. So the three pillars of our business happen to map to the three awards that we've also won in the community. Um, 2017, again, city of Burbank, 100,000 people, some pretty big players in town, 12,000 businesses. And we were selected to be the small business of the year. That to me resonates more than, hey, we're a pretty sharp file maker shop. The fact that we stack up against any business in this town and are lauded for our capabilities and, and how we run our shop, I'm way more proud of that than anything that's industry specific. So that's great for us. Um, and then, you know, in terms of what we do and how we work, you know, desktop, mobile, web apps, we're doing quite a bit more web. Uh, we do a ton of mobile. I think in the mobile space, I, I would guess to say we're probably top 10, I would, I would say in terms of our mobile applications, we're really, really strong at that. We got, um, we were moderately good at it and kind of included mobile as little accessory apps. Now, many of the systems that we're building are saving, you know, this one mobile app we did for a customer of about a hundred people saved them $400,000 a year. So we're leading a lot with mobile. Um, we work in hundred and we have, you know, 2000 plus custom systems, probably 115 industries. Um, we, um, I would say the other areas of strength for us, we're, we're, we're pretty good communicators, pretty good at project management. 
uh, pretty strong at technology stacks and so forth. I would say in the entertainment space, you know, if you're in Southern California, um, there's a lot of shops. Everybody that's a file maker developer in Southern California has touched something entertainment oriented. Um, I don't think, I think we're probably top of the heap in that respect. Um, we just have, we've got model shop managers and actors and writers and producers and directors that are on our team. I'm a former, you know, live sound mixer, post-production mixer. So when a customer comes in and starts talking about their post-production studio, we can talk to them about Simpty Timecode and frame rates and integration with, with Avid systems. And we know this stuff, you know, when we're talking with uh, clearance and rights management and set design shops and so forth. We've just got a lot of experience. So if you go to our website and look at clients and look at the entertainment categories, they go long. Uh, and then the other thing that I would just say, you know, with our team, um, I feel like we're probably top five, if not higher in terms of design. You know, not every single thing that comes off our desk is pristine. Sometimes we're using an older template and dolling it up or saving some uh, customer time. But when we put our head down and really design something from ground up, uh, I think I think there's very, very few shops that can keep up with us. We've got a really strong design team. Jake on our team is our director of design. Uh, Julie on our team is fantastic at it. Uh, we've got we've just got a really good team of designers. So when we really roll up our sleeves, we're hard. We're hard to match, I think, in terms of our design shops. David, did you um, know, Chris? Yeah, and design's not just about, uh, I'm sorry, Mike. David, did you uh, know Chris you Manton? First? I did. Chris was a great guy. He was a great guy, but he was, he was, to my mind, he was so far ahead of everybody in the interface design field. And he encouraged me to focus on design. And, you know, like you, I feel that it, perhaps more so, I stated as if you can give them the wow factor, when they look at the program, they'll want to use it. And if they want to use it, they will. And otherwise you can just get sabotage. They'll sabotage it and refuse to use it. So right. it, design the, is the, so the, important. It's so important, right? It's it, when, you know, I gave a session a couple of years ago about the business benefits of design. And you talk about, I, I, I showed one of the examples I showed was here's an old Honeywell programmable thermostat and here's a Nest thermostat. And one of those screams that you touch me, you know, use me, touch me. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to learn what you're doing. No better, no better way of watching how a fantastic design completely upended a stodgy, old, boring industry. You know, now all of a sudden I want my thermostat to look lush and easy and engaging. So yeah, it's, it's not just for pretty. It's because it's going to be easier to use because we're going to get the benefit as a business because people use the software because they like touching it. It feels good to them. So those are all things that we've really adopted uh, as our shop. And so that's the part where I'll tell you is just as a sneak peek, as we get ready to roll out our new website, we haven't touched our website other than some content stuff in four or five years, probably we've just been focused on other areas of growth, but um, our new website, if you know what we're capable of doing from a design standpoint, Get ready because it's. I think it's going to rock the FileMaker world and, and even other areas of consulting world because it's, it's going to be pretty special. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. The other thing about design, you know, if you give them a really super interface, not only will they embrace it, but they become very willing to go through the learning curve to know how to use it and to get to use it. 
And that's yeah, often they want the to. hardest they want thing. To, right? They just don't want to learn something new. And if you can get them to get past that, then you've got a successful solution. Yeah. Yeah, I think what uh, what I how I'd sum it up just from my own words is it's not just about pretty pictures and and colors and things like that. It's about how it flows, and and you and you need to make sure that you understand the client's needs and and their business so that you can design something that works the way that they work. I mean, I'm working on a project for a gentleman who sells hot tubs and, or spas, sorry, I call them hot tubs, they're spas. Um, and, and we spent a ton of time on how the salespeople work on the floor with their iPads so we can get that process down so that they can go through and do a sale as easily and, and conveniently. And, and so the, the client, uh, the customer coming in, you know, has an easy time. It's, it's extremely important to learn that business, if, uh, you know, so that you can design properly. And, and then, you know, you want to, of course, have some, some nice looking stuff. But for me, workflow is all the, the most important. Yeah. Thing. You're, you're talking, you know, it's funny because a lot of people look at our stuff and they just look at the Chrome. They look at the at the paint job and go, oh, this is fantastic. Yes, that's an, a part of it. But the UX, the interaction is the key, right? If you don't get that right, you can, you can have a poorly Chrome. You can have a black and white screen. But if there's good UX design, everything I need is on this screen. It's arranged in a logical order. I don't have to flip back and forth between screens. That's UX. Uh, if you don't have that right, no matter how much Chrome, you know, whether if you've got beautiful fonts and colors and rich textures and all that, that doesn't help you get your job done faster. So it's really getting that UX done and then coming up with a fitting uh, paint job or, or a Chrome layer, that UI part over the top that's important. We, so when, when it comes to that, you know, when we're talking with a company that's going to use an iPad solution, we're putting buttons on the iPad where they're holding the iPad, where do your thumbs land on the screen? Let's make sure the buttons are most accessible right there. We don't want to put them, like putting a button, if you hold an iPad and you're right-handed, you're holding it with your left hand. We don't want to put navigation buttons on the upper left screen, which you do on the desktop, but we don't put them on the upper left because the minute you reach across the screen, you're obstructing the view of the data. So that's an example of good, paying attention to good UX design, um, where maybe putting your buttons down at the bottom keep your, your hands out of the field of view and, and so forth. That, that might be a better opportunity. We're looking at, you know, like we do time entry systems. And like I was telling you, the time entry system that we did, we have a great video on our website. You can go look at it. It's probably from a year or two ago. And it's called The Little Things. And it's a video that Jake put together of a time entry dashboard that we did on iPhones. Again, saved the customer $400,000. So pretty, pretty fantastic story. But one of the things we also learned about building that, the guys that were using this were in construction. These are not like girls with small little children's fingers. These are guys who are wearing gloves and working with their hands all day. And they've got big swollen fingers. Let's make the buttons a little bit bigger for them. They're going to be outside. It's going to be bright. We need to have a high contrast screen. So we're looking at all those types of things. Again, not just the pretty uh, button library that we use or the font style or the icons and so forth. Those are all great enhancements. But it's also how the usability of that product is. Does it let people work as efficiently as possible? And then a nice coat of spray paint can make it really seem desirous and that helps pull people in even more. So those, those go hand in hand as far as we're concerned. Did you by any chance, so, David, listen to the podcast we did about two months ago with Darren Southern in the U in the, in Australia about UI versus UX? I didn't. It's fascinating. 
absolutely fascinating stuff. We were just going, wow. I highly recommend you listen to yeah, it. Yeah, I was just going to mention that to the audience. If you're not familiar with UX, go back and watch that uh, podcast. And number two, just going on on uh, what uh, David was saying is that about learning your customer. And well, I kind of, you know, we all were talking about it. But I, when I went into the, you know, the hot tub place, I said, we're talking about the customer needs to see the screen. So we made everything a little bit bigger too, not just the buttons, but the font so that they could sit next to the customer, share the screen with them, the screen that they're not used to, but easily see what was going on. So they didn't have to kind of pull it up to their face. They could kind of just put it over towards them and they could see what's going on and see what choices there were and watch a video and things like that. So it, it's really important Perfect to example. get to know. Perfect example of knowing the use case, knowing the audience, and 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 blending that into your design, you just you just did a great job of of outlining that right there, John. Gracias. So let's we talked a little bit about your business, but you know we've got some bullet points on the outline here, and we want to for somebody who's trying to build their you know this is kind of the segment right here is about these people are want to get into the business, they want to be a big player like you, or maybe a medium player or any kind of player, just get some biz, you know, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you started out? We know you were a lone developer, 16 hours yeah. a day, seven days a week, same thing with me, but can you tell us kind of, you know, some of the, the things along the road that helped you out or that, that people should be looking for or anything that, you know, that you're, perspective, uh, you know, that you can give people at this point? You know, I, um, we, the things that I did, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago are not necessarily the things that I do now. You know, if you're trying to feed yourself as a solo developer, you know, finding a couple of good, solid, growing clients that have a thirst for technology and, and advancement and efficiencies, um, those are uh, those are fantastic customers to have. One example I'll give you of that, which I think you guys saw at at Claris Connect. We have a customer called Pin USA, and they do uh, like lapel pins for Disney, Hard Rock Cafe, Sea World, Pokemon, etc. They've been around for years and years. They've been our customer for well over a dozen years. I have breakfast with the owner. We're friends. Our wives know each other. We're dug in with these guys. Um, and they are constantly looking for that. Matter of fact, they talk about their database, which they call Lola. They actually talk about it as a strategic advantage on their website. So when you get a customer like that, that just goes, look, we can be doing things better and smarter and more efficiently and faster. Um, Mario, the owner of Pinyo, say he is the ideal customer for us. He's just always wanting to make his business better. And we're there to help him do it. And Mario, if you if, if he's got a, an executive from Disney that's coming to their offices, he's giving them a tour. And that tour is largely centered around their art department, their sales, their order department. But it all ties in with their their the tour of Lola, the FileMaker system that we built for them and how it integrates into every step of the process. We get people you know, from large companies, Pokemon, Disney and so forth that are calling us going, how do we get a system like what PenUSA has? So um, if you guys get a chance, go to just go Google Claris and Pin USA. You'll see the video uh, that Claris did recently. That's a really great success story for them. So it's fun to watch. But I think if you get, you know, three or four clients like that, that you can kind of juggle your time between, sometimes one big client will do it. I think that's a great way to 
pivot in and out of different things. Keep yourself engaged. Uh, you know, one customer is busy when another one might be quiet. You got a little bit of variety of work and spice. Those are good things. Uh, and if you're a solo developer, that might be enough uh, to kind of keep you going. And every once in a while, you got to stir the pot and get some new customers or uh, reach out to an existing customer and get them engaged again. You know, when you get to be a bigger shop, you know, if you've got you know, a dozen developers or 50 developers, whatever you, you know, you, you can't just chop down one tree a month and go, that's enough wood for the fire. You got to find groves of trees. So you've got to, you've got to look uh, at the landscape and go, where are we headed? What's going on in the industry? Um, paying attention to your marketing, your sales and your processes for getting new work becomes a, a much bigger uh, challenge. Um, and then obviously, you know, on the technology front, as you get bigger, you probably need to diversify. You don't want all of your logs, you know, hey, I've got five guys that are fantastic FileMaker scripters, but nobody knows how to use JSON or can do any web technologies. I think I think as the entire software industry matures, you know, back in the day, we all used to be experts at everything. And I think you have to have a much more diversified approach uh, on the technical front of things to be able to stay competitive, too. So let me ask you, David. So I've always been a, a single person at a, at a single shop. You know, it's always been my thing. I didn't want to manage people. If you're thinking about managing people, can you give us some, some ideas of, of, you know, how, how you work with people? I mean, your style obviously is you're a very likable guy that helps out a lot, but you must've dealt with some difficult times and things. And so we're just curious your, your thoughts on, on working with employees and how you treat them. The, that's a great question. And it, it ties in with something I'm pretty proud of about us. You know, back in the day, you know, I ran this, I was a partner in this small shop and then I went to go work for a larger shop and the larger shop that I worked for at the time there was tremendous amount of, of turnover. It was like a 40 or 50% retention rate. So you hire a bunch of junior developers and next year, half of them would be gone. So there was almost a revolving door. And my sister, uh, my wife and my sister both, you know, came from sort of a, a talent placement, recruiting backgrounds and so forth. I didn't know. I thought, oh yeah, we're keeping 50% of our staff. That's fine. They were like, no, 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 no. You guys need to be asking better questions. You need to be bringing people back for second interviews. Um, you need to be doing, you know, give them some challenges, test them on questions they don't know, watch them think. So my interviewing skills at Angel City Data became much sharper than any of the places I'd worked at before. Um, so first and foremost, uh, you know, one of the other people I, I just want to throw a, a shout out to, he's not doing this anymore. I think he just retired, but you want to talk about a guy who again won Small Business of the Year for his community, ran a great shop, and was really good at, at hiring people and keeping them forever. Barney Lawn of Core Solutions. He was he was fantastic as a businessman. So I always looked at him as a as a mentor as well because he he really ran a good shop and did it right. Um, so he ran a good enough shop to actually sell it for yeah, money. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear that very often in the file That's true. Market, so 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 that was good. Um, the thing I will tell you is we're, you know, the, the term in which Barney used to say this all the time, and I would say it's true about us too, we're, we're slow to hire and quick to fire. Uh, so in that, that we've got great chemistry. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, Chris Jackson on my team hit his 15 year anniversary with the company. Uh, that we've got several guys wow. that are hitting 15. Here's one of the stats I'm the most proud of about Angel City Data. We've been around coming up on 17 years. We've had two developers ever leave our company. 
uh, in that period of time. So, uh, you know, we've got subcontractors that we've been using for 10 or 11 years. We've got in, enormous retention uh, in, in a technology space, which is hard enough. Uh, but let alone just our, our staff turnover ratio is incredibly high, is incredibly low, pardon me. And it's because we're very careful about letting somebody in the doors. We're going to try them out, maybe use them as a subcontractor, try them for a little bit, and then we bring them in. When we get you in here, we want to keep you forever. So what are the things that we can do? You know, keep you challenged technically, find a good place in the organization where your unique skill set if you're a good salesman, let's use you on sales. If you're great at tech support, let's make sure that you're in front of a lot of our customers on support calls. So let's let's take the skills that you bring to the organization and find a way uh, for us to leverage that. You know, I'm going to give you one example of that. Uh, Angela, I've had probably 17 years. We've probably had three office managers. The first one was a 17-year-old kid when I just started. She was my best friend's daughter. She went away to college. The second one was Stacy, and she was with us for five or six years and then moved to San Diego. And then we hired Angela. Angela is now our director of operations. Angela's fantastic. However, she wasn't as strong at the financial, you know, doing the billing and QuickBooks and all that stuff as Stacy was. So, you know, I'm sitting here going, Angela's knocking it out of the park in other areas. Stacy, are you still available? She's like, yeah, I've got some time. I can do some stuff remotely. Great. Stacy, can we get you doing our AR, our, our receivables and some of our financial stuff? Angela, instead of forcing her to do what Stacy did, but not doing it quite as well, Angela now gets to help lead some of the big visionary things for our company in positive ways. So that's that's one of those things where you go, look at look at the hand you've been dealt, use these people in ways that they bring the most juice to your company and be creative about it. You know, patch or spackle any uh, if you have inefficiencies or areas that you need um, extra attention in your operation, bring some people in externally to help, you know, to help shore up those areas that might be a little deficient. David, I got to tell you so that you have just reinforced my belief that you are exactly where you should be because you are doing everything that is absolutely right in terms of the way you manage your people. And I don't understand how so few businesses understand this. It's incomprehensible to me. I agree. I have to emphasize that uh, that is probably one of the best answers I've ever heard as to why people stay at a company. It's not the free sodas. It's not the cushy chair. It's not necessarily the pay. It's about treating people with respect and also allowing them to do what they do best, identify them and let them do what they do best. Smart, smartest thing I ever heard from somebody say something. And you guys should write notes on this and, and take away David's advice because that's the way you keep people there um, for so 15 years. Just before we like get one of our best. Yeah, yeah. So just before we go on, David, a lot of years ago, I was running a very large and very successful art gallery in Las Vegas. And we had a girl there who was from New York. And she was the top performer by a million miles. She wrote more business than anybody. And I came in one morning, and as the general manager of the business, I fired her. And the owner of the gallery said, why'd you do that? She's our top performer. I said, yep. But she upsets everybody else on the staff. And all they can think about is how much they hate her. And although she's making a lot of money, she's causing all the others not to make money. So she's costing us money. And he, he finally agreed with me. And 
the result was extraordinary. Everybody started to make more money, and we actually made more money by getting rid of the top producer. So it isn't always the great, best great ability people. Great example. Yep. That's a great example, Michael. That's that. And, and like even to that point, I was talking about Angela on our team. Uh, Angela is also one of those people. She's a catalyst. She like pours fire on everybody. She makes everybody on our team better. So to free her up to help make Jake or Chris or Talia or Joe or anybody on our team better or help them see or clear them up to be more successful. She's a great little spark plug uh, that can help out in a lot of areas like that. Now, if she's got her head deep in QuickBooks all day long. I, I lose that. So, so yeah. Yeah. Do you ever partner with other firms on projects or do everything in-house? I'm just curious. We, we, um, we absolutely do. As a matter of fact, we sort of have this kind of unofficial affiliate program. And when they're, you know, first and foremost, we're, you know, we're not a huge shop, but we're, you know, medium sized filemaker shop. We've got multiple people and full timers and web developers and guys that are great on server and so forth. So we've got some specialty. So if a, a legacy filemaker developer, you know, sole proprietor goes, look, I'm trying to make a really special interface on this for my client. Can I bring you guys in and have you help out? Sure. Or I don't do, uh, uh, Node or React or PHP or whatever. And I go, yeah, but we do. And I, I, my customer needs a web portal tied in with the system. Can I bring you guys in? And we do. And so one of the the three different ways we do that, I, we're very flexible with, with somebody like that. So, you know, uh, somebody comes to us and says, I want to be the company representing this, but I want to hide you guys behind me. Great. We'll be white shirts. You won't know you don't. You won't know that we exist, but we'll be behind the scenes making the magic happen for you. Other times, a, a, a developer will bring us standing next to them and go, "Hi, you know, I'm John, and here's Dave Knight and Angel City Data. They're going to help on the website. You guys know me, John. I'm the one that's managing your project and do all the the core stuff. Uh, but this is a team that I'm bringing in for this specialty work, and we stand next to the other developer and support them and give them additional strength or or skill sets." And then on the other side of that is every once in a while, a small developer goes, this entire project is, is too big or I don't have the time for it. Can I just hand it off to you? Uh, and that, at that point, they throw it our way and, and we give them a nice little you know, commission structure based on thank you for handing us not a warm lead, but a hot client. So, yeah, we reward uh, a number of people who have thrown significant jobs our way, but we never, 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 never slide in and try to, you know, beat the, the the referring developer with us. We're like, no, this is your client until you tell us they're our client. But if you want to continue to manage this client, just want us to stand next to you or behind you, we can do either of those. Do you want to hear a funny story, David? Sure. So on Upwork, I was, I did get a lot, used to get a lot of work from Upwork and I was monitoring mm -hmm. it and I was looking at this job that Somebody was advertising, they were looking for a FileMaker developer and they only felt they were only willing to pay $15 an hour. And I just sort of laughed at it. Mm. And yeah. the, the job got awarded. And three weeks later, there was another post using the exact phrasing from the company that had got the job. And they were looking for a FileMaker developer to pay $10 an hour. <laughs> right? I'm a broker now. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a quote at the top of your about section of your website that says, none of us is as smart as all of us. 
by Ken Blanchard, who I don't know, but I love the quote and I love that you put it up there. How did you come by this quote and what does it mean to you? I, I, don't, I don't recall. I stumbled across it at one point. You know, I was looking at a list of quotes or something. Um, and it really speaks to, it really speaks to not just me, gee, I want to involve other people. It it involves my company. Gee, we, 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 as a company, I'll, I'll just say different from many companies, other FileMaker shops, we have physical offices, we have whiteboards everywhere, we've got cubicles, we've got a team that comes in. We're largely uh, working from home right now, but actually we just bought a new commercial, uh, not new, but we just bought a commercial building. We're moving to new offices and we're setting it up right now for us. But we work very collaboratively and we, you know, our cube farm, when I've got uh, you know, let's just say eight or 10 people in the room and somebody shouts out a problem and somebody else knows the answer right away. That's incredibly powerful. Uh, so it, within our our office space, none of us is smart as all of us, right? There's groupthink that, that provides stuff. When you take that to a chamber of commerce and go, what about some ideas to help get restaurants started up again in, in Burbank? That's groupthink. That's, that's a group of people throwing ideas around. When you go to a DevCon and have an experts panel with John Mark and Dave Knight, and Chris Moyer and so forth. You're hearing ideas sprout from a number of people. Um, and again, on online chat groups, meetups, you're you're collectively harnessing the power of many and all of those different experiences they bring. So yeah, that's, that's just, you're, you're foolish. We have, we have a rule at Angel City, don't work on a problem that you haven't solved for more than an hour without raising your hand. There's somebody really smart sitting next to you. So if you go, oh my God, I'm trying to get this thing on server working and it's not, and you just go, hey, has anybody here struggled with getting the script engine to restart on server, whatever, raise your hand. There's somebody here in the room that goes, oh yeah, I did it yesterday and here's a little tip that you might wanna pay attention to. So it's just, it's incredibly nice to use the synergy of the brain power of really smart people around you. And that's just a part of our policy and culture. John, do you have a favorite quote that you, the business quote that you might use or share? Check your fly. Uh, I do. And uh, <laughs> it's one that Stephen Blackwell knows very well. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I haven't said it in a while. Um, uh, there's there's two kinds of smarts. And he knows what I mean by that. That's, not a, that's my own quote. <laughs> well, my favorite one is those who say it can't be done generally don't want to do it. Hmm. Right. And it's so true. It's like uh, every excuse in the book because they don't want to do it. Oh, it can't be done. We haven't got the budget. We've got the resource. We've got the time. Oh, yeah. We have a uh, gosh, we've done. I did a session a few years ago. In fact, it was quite a few years ago, but it was called Stupid Filemaker Tricks. And it was sort of in the vein of Dave Letterman's, you know, Stupid Pet Tricks. Uh, and we showed off a lot of things that were sort of silly or foolish, but also had practical things to it. One of, one of the guys on my team, Joe Gold, he's been with me almost 15 years too. He's fantastically creative. He's a writer, director, actor. Oh, he's brilliant. Uh, I, I know Joe's work. He's incredibly clever. Yeah. yeah. He's a very clever guy. He built, uh, I, I think we can still kind of get it working, but he actually built a, a game of Pong uh, that works with FileMaker. So literally you're using file, you're using arrow keys to move a paddle up and down and hitting a ball back and forth. It's absolutely something fun to see. But uh, yeah, there's there's some really good creative thinkers 
out there. And it's great to stretch your brain because you learn things like you were saying earlier, Michael, you get that tip or that trick. It's like a little earworm and you go, hey, what if I were to take that and use it this way or bend it a little bit and use it that way? Um, so those are all really good insights. Yeah. So, by the way, Ben, uh, ben, Joe's, ben Joe's ear about coming on as a guest because he'd be a very interesting guest. Would you do that for me? Oh, sure. Joe Great. would be fun to have. Thank you. So, yeah, I remember back in the early days of FileMaker, everybody was making games with it. There was Risk. Right. Uh, there was, I remember the Risk game was there for mm. so long. Um, and it was just, it was just funny because people did it just yeah. to prove that you could do it. Might have not been the best version of the game, but wow, FileMaker could do it. So. Right. <laughs> so let's move on to the next section and talk about, uh, how FileMaker fits into the world of software and possibly compare it to competing products like Excel, Access, Airtable, Salesforce, Oracle, SQL, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, we're looking for your opinion on on where FileMaker stands in the midst of everything, you know, what it's good for, you know, whatever your thoughts yeah. are. Um, I've got a lot of experience here. You know, for, I would say, six or seven years, we've had a competitive, uh, da a database that we keep track of competitive technologies. And this is, you know, whether it's Salesforce or Domo or a smart sheet or track via or Airtable or whatever. We keep track of, you know, how many developers and what kind of conferences and what are the price points and how are the, the Google ad, you know, are we seeing Google, uh, Google trends in terms of are people are talking about this more or not. So is it, is it rising or sinking and so forth? You know, one of the things about the FileMaker space is We've seen, if, if nobody's paying attention to this, I'm going to just say it. We've seen the death or the, die, the death knell of the desktop database. Desktop databases are dying and have been for years. Paradox, Approach, Access, um, you know, Lotus Notes. Um, and then you get into 4D and Omnis. And, you know, there's just all of those little products that Panorama and so forth. All of those have slowly gotten, you know, smaller and smaller in terms of market share, in terms of if you, again, if you look at Google trends on how many times these words are mentioned, almost all of these products have seen a slow uh, slide down in terms of interest over time. And, and it's because the web has come on. And so we're seeing, you know, w what we've seen over the last 10 years has been little tiny players like Zoho and, and um, QuickBase and, uh, Salesforce. I mean, you know, if you go back, what, 10 or 12 years, FileMaker and Salesforce were roughly the same size organizations in terms of revenue and so forth. One of those is now multi-billion dollar company on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, so, you know, so there's been a broad shift to the industry of moving online uh, and whether it's software as a service or platform as a service or any of those types of things, we're seeing that. So what I see in the industry right now, in terms of talking about desktop databases and so forth. Do we have customers that still have on-prem servers that largely work to support whatever, five to 500 customers? Yes, absolutely. FileMaker is a fantastic project product for that. It's, it's unparalleled to some extent in the ability of working quickly and nimbly and supporting a, a changing uh, workflow. Uh, things that you can do so fast in FileMaker are, are great. Um, is that where most of the world is going right now? No, the world is going to the web and it has been for you know more than a decade. 
we're, we're seeing that trend just get stronger every single year. So when I look at the world right now where FileMaker sort of plays, uh, I look at that entire ecosystem. If you want to talk about sort of no-code, low-code uh, spaces where you can have, you know, your small group of users sharing data in the sky, on the low end of that, I, I classify these in three areas. On the low end, it's spreadsheet replacement. It's Google Docs. That's the number one thing, right? It's free. It's not very good, but it's free. It's deployable. Uh, and the deployment, that's the, that's the part also. You know, back in the day, the FileMaker deployment wasn't super fast, but super fast to be able to build and construct stuff in compared to something like Oracle or SQL Server. But but now when you're talking about the deployment aspect, to be able to turn it, you know, here's my credit card, boom, I've got a database that's available, it's shareable. Um, that's the thing where all of the new players have kind of put all their focus on and they're getting stronger at their technology and so forth. FileMaker has already had strong programming and feature sets but has had to kind of catch up with the others in terms of that shareable deployment available in a browser, you know, thin client, that kind of stuff. So I, I look at the playing field right now. There are spreadsheet replacements. That's going to be Google on the bottom end, you know, Airtable, Smartsheet, uh, places like that. So Airtable, uh, Airtable is a very small, uh, has a small set of features compared to FileMaker, but they have a rabid a rabid uh, community of people. People love Airtable. Um, I'll give you an example. I was uh, I was doing a a sort of a Shark Tank event in our town a couple of years ago, um, probably about two years ago. Google put on an event. We're going to give away a hundred thousand dollars to the winner of this sort of Shark Tank event. And I was let's just say I was the Mark Cuban of the group. I was one of four. Uh, members that had to grant the award. I'm walking around. This was held at Cartoon Network. They have a big arena there. There's probably 300 people walking around, young entrepreneurs, kids making really cool business ideas and apps and robots and stuff. And I heard the word Airtable just constantly being muttered as I was walking around the room. So Airtable on the low end, nowhere near as powerful as FileMaker, but you know, super, you can use it for free, super easy to get started in, great place to start sharing and build your business systems from, but you run out of rope a little bit quickly. Uh, and then you go on to the high end side, you know, the more, the stronger, you know, not, we're not talking full Java or .NET or any of that stuff, but the, the full development platforms that are much more robust and stronger, um, Mendix, OutSystems, Betty Blocks, Microsoft Power Apps. These are all, you know, players in that space where they're getting whatever, $5,000 a month uh, license fees, but we're able to build using JavaScript and some kind of drag and drop tools. We're able to build some pretty, you know, world-class applications that are robust and scalable and load balanced and things of that nature. Um, and of course, Salesforce has kind of been in there too and have, have lowered the bar. You don't have to be a monster programmer to start using Salesforce and some of the lightning uh, 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 development methods that are associated with it and so forth. So those guys are heavy load, little stronger learning curve probably than FileMaker, but pretty adept. I mean, pretty powerful, can do you know anything and all things that FileMaker can largely and have, you know, bigger backbones, I think, in terms of their deployment model and their scalability and so forth. And then you have that middle tier where I feel kind of FileMaker lands. And again, it's not a full web-based product. So it's a little bit of a hybrid right now with some things in the web being available and some things, you know, being on-prem or, or traditional client-server model. Uh, and there's a few other players in that space. You know, I would say maybe QuickBase is in there and, and TrackVIA is in there and some other players that have similar models similar costs, similar um, 
overhead, things of that nature. But FileMaker is really unique. So, you know, the space race right now is whether these web-based tools can get as easy. Some of them are easier. Airtable, vastly easier than FileMaker right now. Uh, but are is it as powerful? Not, not even close. So as some of these newer um, platforms get stronger and stronger and more full featured at the same time, FileMaker is working on their deployment and getting web enabled and, and moving stronger in that area. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how these things converge and where FileMaker lands in the ecosystem. Uh, Cause there's a lot of change going on in the industry and a lot of competition that are coming for the space that FileMaker has, has largely had to themselves for quite some time. How important David, would you say that, um, the JavaScript integration and Claris Connect is in Claris terms in maintaining its competitive edge over a lot of other companies or keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak? Um, I think uh, Claris Connect, I think it's a great tool set for FileMaker to have. I think it, you know, to some extent, if Claris Connect were to really get a shot uh, of vitamin B12 in it, if it was really, you know, enhanced. And, and I think the pricing is a bit of a barrier at times. I think the, the, the feature set is still um, deficient compared to some of the other offerings in the industry. But if FileMaker were to get Claris Connect really pumped up on steroids, that product could easily eclipse uh, the, the revenue that FileMaker generates. That's a tool that can be used, you know, in almost any platform. And we're seeing a proliferation of all these, you know, gee, I'm using Salesforce for this and MailChimp for that and Dropbox for this and, and QuickBooks Online for that. All these little silos that have APIs and Claris Connect could be a great little you know, a great little digital Lego piece that you can snap in and make these things talk to each other. So I'd like to see that area of, of Claris uh, really um, survive and prosper. I, I would really like to see that thing really explode because there is a need for, for doing that right now. But they're they're going up against, you know, people like Zapier and what uh, if this and that and, and tools that have been in place for a lot longer that are that have a deeper feature set and perhaps at a pricing point that could be a bit more competitive. So um, I'd like to see, I'd like to see if Claris can, can compete in that space further, because I think there's a lot of runway uh, for them to cover. I think there's a lot of upside. Yeah. When we talked to Brad Freitag a month ago, um, he pretty much agreed with the fact that the Claris Connect was not getting the adoption that it really needs to, and that the pricing point needs to be looked at. It seemed that he was well aware of it. And I would think that, it's something that they're going to address because I, I totally agree with you. If they can make it more affordable and more usable and uh, they've got a real shot. But what about JavaScript, though? JavaScript, you know, it's it as Todd likes to see JavaScript's eating the world. It's a great language. It's pervasive everywhere. It's being used widely. Um, I think for FileMaker to have embraced JavaScript is incredibly wise of them. Uh, I think for them to continue moving in the direction that they have is smart. You know, we've got this, again, we're sort of in that hybrid model. We're not, it's not a JavaScript based programming environment, but it can integrate and use JavaScript in some clever and creative ways. You know, so the web, the web viewer is a fantastic little uh, nugget of surprise that, that got dropped in our plates years ago that continues to pay dividends. I think they continue to work with uh, the integration aspect. I think people 
people like John and I go back 15 years. FileMaker was the only thing in a small organization, you know, is this and QuickBooks and you're done. And now it's like, no, I've got MailChimp and I've got Dropbox and I've got things that I want to talk to with my FileMaker system. So JavaScript is the, you know, is the flavor du jour of, of programming languages that, that we can use to talk to all these things. So I think it's really smart of them to keep that in the forefront and to continue enhancing that as they move towards uh, new and different, you know, database models going forward. Yeah, I, I need to applaud uh, Claris on their implementation of JavaScript. I think it's fantastic. Um, there's always room for improvement, but I've gone in and started using uh, JavaScript add-ons. Um, I've done some some charting with JavaScript. It's it's just really super easy to do with just a little bit of knowledge of FileMaker. But what I really want to go back to is back to Claris yes. Connect because I have, want to make some comments about that. And so I had a project where uh, a client wanted DocuSign. They wanted to simply have a PDF generated from FileMaker, have it signed through DocuSign and get the document back signed. Simple process, right? right? But it's unfortunately the DocuSign and this is partly DocuSign's fault, but their API is incredibly complicated. There's no fast track to do that one thing that people want to do. You have to know all kinds of stuff because I, I watched uh, some videos from Productive Computing, which were, were mm -hmm. very good and, and helped me along to understand that. Now, as far as is uh, is going further in that, I said, well, that's just too complicated for me. Let me find something easier. I bet Claris Connect is easier. Oh, there's a presentation coming up. Okay, let me watch that. And they could not get it to do that simple thing that I wanted, which is send the document over from FileMaker and receive it back. There was no way as far as they could tell to do it inside of Claris Connect. And and that's where I think they need to make some improvements. They need to find out what do people really want to do with this? And they need to improve. In, in, and this is my lack of knowledge of Claris Connect. I don't know a lot about it. But when I researched and tried to get it, I ended up buying uh, a product that allows you to that that does just what I want. You put your information in, and it does exactly what I want. Sends the document over. I have to have a third party project in there. It's a FileMaker database, but they did it all for me. And that's what I kind of like to see Claris Connect be, at least in terms of the DocuSign stuff, and and maybe possibly other areas. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, John, you and I go back to the days before plugins. So you did everything in FileMaker, and you struggled. Then all of a sudden, plugins came along. And you go, oh, now I can, you know, push things to files or I can build my own dialogue boxes. And then what what we, you know, what I, me personally and with most of our team, I go, look, if we can do this stuff without third party plugins, because a developer of the plugin, you know, goes, uh, goes belly up or retires or it stops working with future versions or whatever. So we always like to stay as native to FileMaker as we can. Um, so there's, there's that whole thing of wanting to stay true to form. So... So if we can do, so when, when we look at a Claris Connect issue, if we're going to work with DocuSign or Box.com or something like that, we've got guys that know how to get in and, and wrestle with APIs natively, and we have the full breadth and width of those APIs. So we're not afraid to get our hands dirty. I don't know that we're the target customer in that in that sense, that we're the target customer for Claris Connect. I no, you definitely, you definitely aren't, David. You, the yeah, target customer yeah, of Claris that, Connect is people like me who has no idea and absolutely no interest in learning APIs. Right. So I think if you're that that subject matter expert, that knowledge worker, that citizen developer, that problem solver that FileMaker is always uh, speaking of, I think if you're that guy working at, 
you know, Acme and you've built a little system that manages your company's 25 person FileMaker system. And the boss wants to know if we can send invoices out via bill.com. Uh, and you go, oh my God, there's this great little path through Claris Connect and I can do it in 10 hours as opposed to having to learn, you know, the, the full library of API calls to and from and making it a 40 hour job uh, out of it. I think that's, there's a lot of those people out there. And I think that's probably the target that FileMaker, or that Claris is, is, is trying to uh, target with, with Claris Connect. For sure. Right. Exactly, which is why I want them to target it better. That's just my feedback for them based on my my research. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about something that's really near and dear to your heart. Um, and one of the reasons you may have been named Speedy is that, and, and I'll preface it with an example. I just wrote an article on the philosophy of filemaker.com that covers multilingual solutions. And I've implemented a solution using Execute SQL. Actually, I tried, I think, three different variations of a script to make it possible to change the labels to any language you wanted, or at least the languages that were programmed mm -hmm. into it. This client happened to be Japanese and English. And they wanted to be able to switch that for the different people using the system so the labels nice. would be different. And there's a lot more other complexity sure. there. But one of the things I wanted to do was make those labels global fields or a global repeating field and then on open or on changing of their preferences yeah. you know they change from english to japanese have it change all those labels and i went through a lot of different you know uh, things to finally find out that hey this particular process is faster and so filemaker is complex these days uh, it does a lot of stuff, and and but it also lets people in the door very easily. You know, those some amateur developers or maybe people who aren't you know as familiar with certain aspects of it. And one of the outcomes is slow solutions. Right. So, can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know what you do, uh, it, common mm -hmm. issues you encounter, anything to help anybody listening to this podcast if if they're you know got a slow solution going on, what can they do? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's a, it's a multi-pronged answer there too, is, you know, you, you, um, and on our team, you know, I have other people on our team that are way stronger than me at web technologies. Uh, I'm pretty, pretty good on server. Um, I'm pretty strong at data migration at, at, you know, forcing data into splitting it out into buckets. So those are one of my strengths too. And then the speed stuff, for whatever reason, I've been lucky, John, that, that a lot of the core behavior of FileMaker that I learned back in 2.1 days, a lot of it is still very relevant, you know, how it's indexed and how it's stored and what an unstored calc versus a stored calc does and working through joins and relationships and things of that nature. Um, so one of the things, you know, that, you know, I did a, uh, I think when you were working for the old FileMaker Advisor magazine, you were one of the technical leads of that. I did a, a session or I did a, an article there about how to speed up solutions. The, and the three areas that I always worked on that I always kind of profess, you know, search, sort, and summarize. Those three S's are things that are very common. Um, one of the things that people forget about FileMaker even though it's not the most robust data engine in the world compared to something like Oracle, uh, it's pretty darn fast at searches. So if you've got an indexed field and you know five million records, and you say go find me all the invoices with Acme as the customer name, it's going to return those in a in a reasonable amount of time. It's going to be pretty quick. So so when I look at a slow search, 
first and foremost, I need, I, I always work backwards from, I always go, what does FileMaker give us? It, give us a, it gives us an index that we can then search through very quickly. How do we keep from getting an index? By using anything related, pointing to a global, pointing to a summary field, or pointing to another unstored calc. That we can't index those things, therefore the search is going to be backwards. So, or, or slower, I mean. So I always work backwards. I always like to say, what do we? What does FileMaker give us this fast? For for searches, number one, indexed. So if you're searching an aggregate field, that's going to be unstored. Therefore, it's unindexed. Therefore, it's going to be slow. Uh, don't make it an unstored calc. Can you use script triggers or something to set that that value? When underlying data changes happen, now you do a search on it. It instead of taking seven minutes to run, it takes seven seconds to run, uh, and it can be that dramatic. And especially if you're using an iPad out in the field on a 5G or 4G connection, that little thing right there can turn from a 15-minute process to a five or 10-second process. So, so the search aspect is one of the gimmies. The sort um, things that people people think that indexing impacts the sort speed. I have not seen that to be true. And I don't know many people that have done more research on that than me. So indexing is not necessarily uh, a, a giveaway for speed when it comes to sorting records. But what I will say that I do know, it's about 400% slower to sort on a related field than a local field. So for instance, if I'm looking at an invoice table of records, and I want to sort the invoice by customer name. Uh, hey, here's a list of all my open invoices that sort by customer name, and there's 50,000 invoices. That might take a little while if the customer name is a related field in the contact record. On the other hand, if it's looked up and stored in the invoice uh, table, that's now local data. The sort's going to be 400% faster. So there are some things that you can do um, where you can denormalize your data, where you can store criteria in a local table that helps you get that, that local field. So again, indexing helps searches, local helps sorts. You're not going through the join engine. And, and, and by the way, just as a caveat to that or a little aside, the join engine in FileMaker is potentially a slow point. So anytime you're looking to reach through a relationship and do something with data through that relationship, it's going to be slower. So there are times when you can pack a variable with a payload, go to the related records, perform a search, set those fields, as opposed to reaching through the relationship and setting those fields. So, and then finally, the summary aspect, um, summaries, you know, uh, if you're looking at, let's just say, I want to see a total of all invoice, uh, open invoices. I want to see the balance total of those. And that's a summary field. That t tends to work more against the unstored calc. So if my invoice totals are unstored, then the summary field, you know, obviously first has to calculate the value for each invoice and then grand total those up. Uh, so that can be, again, quite slow as well. Um, if that invoice total like we talked about earlier, if we set that with a trigger, uh, anytime line items are added or edited or deleted from that invoice, if we can set that invoice total with a, a script trigger, then now a whole found set of those invoices, if I want to summarize them, it's going to be fast. So there's a lot of, I've done some really cool things with how to duplicate found sets of parent and child records. You know, I, I did that. Wim DeCourt came to me a couple of years ago and said, hey, I'm trying to duplicate a found set of invoices and all their line items. And it was taking him minutes to do it. And I got it down to about 
five or six seconds. And I, I did this really kind of creative thing with imports uh, and so forth. So that's one of the things I would say to you, John, you're talking about these languages. There could be an option where you go, hey, if it's a Japanese user, um, let me script a set field, set field, set field to all these field labels. Another thing you could do, you could have two records that have the labels. Here's an English record and here's a Japanese record. And when I log in, I'm going to import those labels uh, into the global field only because imports are one of the fastest ways that you can get data into FileMaker. I'd have to completely agree with that. Whenever there's an opportunity to make a, a, a large amount of data, such as let's say you have defaults, right. you want to fill a portal with a bunch of defaults, um, import yep. them. Yep. Don't try to go ahead and set them uh, one by one, create the records through loop. It's not, it's not going to be right. fast. I always tell people the slowest thing, and I, I'm, I'm very dramatic when I say things to get mm -hmm. points across, but relationships are one of the slowest things in FileMaker. So avoid it like the plague if you can. I mean, you can't make a portal without a relationship. So great, use it. But sometimes people are like, should I go ahead and do a go to related record? Or maybe I should just get the value, the primary key from this, from this uh, parent right. record into a variable, take it over there and do there a find instead. It seems like a lot more work, a lot more stuff, but it can often be uh, significantly faster. I'm not saying always do that, but if you notice something slow, so you have to identify or isolate the issue. And that came up in this article that I was talking about. And I don't think I made myself completely clear, but what I went through is I, it was, it, we put it up on a server and said, let's, oh, it's taking two minutes to open right. up. And I had done a lot of research on, on how to do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing this the right way. I'm going to go ahead and use execute SQL and put a whole bunch of set fields. I'm not going to make it dynamic. I'm just going to make it straightforward. And it was like, wow, this took so long. And I had, I had never even thought about using a loop. I changed it to a loop to just go through and loop through the records and, and set the global. It was the, it, it changed. It was 20 or 30 times mm -hmm. faster. I forget what it was. And I said in the article. So, so the key here though, is that you don't always know the answer. There's a few things like David's telling you like, you know, unstored calcs and summary fields and that you should know, but sometimes you come across situations where you have to experiment and that's where your troubleshooting skills come in identify or isolate the problem, then think of creative ways that you could do the same thing and then test it over uh, you know, a wide area network, test it remotely with the, with small devices and, and narrow internet right, speeds right. and Good point. like that. And that yeah, would really David, help yeah, you out. Yeah, that's a great point. David, do you know Nick Lightbody and his work? Sure. Well, David, Nick is a very good friend of mine and we interviewed him on the uh, podcast uh, a few couple of months ago. And one of the things he because he's obsessed with getting FileMaker to work really fast, as you know. And he sure. said one of the best ways is to go through every single field in your table and unindex almost all of them. And so, and he's absolutely right. You know, we index without thinking about it, but if we turn the index off and on fields we don't really need to search on, it will speed up the thing. But I want to go back to your point about denormalizing. Right. By copying a value into a record in the related table. Yeah, you are right. duplicating data, but that allows you to search much faster. It also allows you to sort by that field in the portal, which you can't right. do if the field's a related record. That's so right. those, there are definite advantages in some cases to, as you say, denormalizing and, you know, and 
people who are sort of so obsessed about oh, it's got, all this data has got to be absolutely normalized, they're sort of shooting themselves in the foot because there are situations and circumstances where you need that denormalization. You know, one of the one of the key design things when you're t- John, you're talking about you need to join to show relationships and so forth. Here's one that I'm my, myself, uh, Jake on my team, a couple of our UI designers, a couple of our team members. I am challenging the use of portals. We strive like on mobile. You won't you might see a four row fixed portal with no scrolling you'll see the first four phone numbers and then a more dot, dot, dot button where you can click and go to a list view. But most of the time, you know, everybody goes into the portals, they're touching the join, which is slow. They're trying to want to sort records and go to records and all that sort of stuff, as opposed to showing a badge. You know, if I'm looking at a contact record, for instance, and I've got three badges and I go, they have uh, four outstanding items, three things that are completed and seven things that are new. Those can be badges that I set with script triggers that give me information about the underlying data and a single tap of a button takes me to a list view inside the the native table where I can now search, sort, summarize, view, do whatever I want to. So especially on the mobile platform, you'll rarely see us use portals at all. Uh, you, You won't see a scrolling portal at all. You'll see a list. You'll see a scrolling list that we can flick up and down that we can sort, that we can filter at the top. So now that you have these header areas, especially on on desktop and mobile, I can change a filter at the top that changes a list view. I can't do that. You know, we we have scrollable and, you know, you can change the sort order of portals and I can filter the portal with this little global field and all that. Those are painful. They're slow. They're limiting. If I got a list of data, if I'm on a contact record and I want to see a list of related invoices, show a badge that says they've got five invoices, tap the badge. Now I'm looking at a list of invoices. I can search, sort, summarize, uh, jump into a detail view from there. I can do a lot of things from there that I can't do in a portal easily. And portals, so I, I'm you're constantly seeing me on some of the list talking about portals are evil. Yes, they can be very useful at times. And there are times when we use them and so forth. But we push against the, we push against the, the, design criteria that everybody's got, oh, I've got the screen, I've got 17 portals on it. I'm like, oh my God, that's so many join touches, that's so much slowness, and it's a lack of flexibility. And it adds a lot of visual noise to your screen. So give us a badge or an icon with with a uh, circle around it and a color that means something so that I can tap that and then get to the underlying data very quickly. But I don't need to see lots of little related data chunks when I'm looking at a, at a record most times. Yeah, think about what the person really needs to see every time they look at that record and hide the rest of the stuff under popovers. There you go. And there, and exactly, like that. exactly. So we're kind well, we, we of nearing the end of all this. Well, we are, but we're not, John, because got... you, you missed a section. David, we didn't ask David about FM disk, and I'd like to... Oh, we oh my goodness, that's one of the most important things. Yeah, go ahead. Since you remembered, go ahead and, and, well, and so, talk about it. David, tell us about FM disk. And um, obviously, what we know what the file maker acronym stands for, but go ahead and tell us anyway. And why a developers group rather than a users group? And what do people expect? And et cetera, et cetera. Give us your 30 second or one minute or two minutes or whatever elevator pitch on FM Disk. Started 1999, four or five people. We called it Bagels and BS. We met weekly. It grew. We'd go to DevCon. We'd tell people about it. We'd go to you know Mac Worlds. We'd tell people about it. it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, 
we've got a board of about five board members. We've been running it for 22. We had our 20 year anniversary a couple of years ago. So we're, I think, 22, 23 years. Um, largest FileMaker. It's not a user group. It's a developer group. So that's the largest FileMaker developer group in the world. Easily, you know, in, in terms of content, we got the best. I mean, we've got, you know, Wim DeCourt and we had Britta Rock from FileMaker and Andy LeCates. So we've got some fantastic content there that's very tightly curated. We've got a good meeting coming up next Friday. Um, so it's a fantastic group. It's led me to be a better developer. It's led me to be a better speaker. It's inter in introduced me into dozens of fantastic developers around the world. Uh, it's been a great avenue. So, you know, you can go to Meetup and look us up, join our, our groups. We've got probably 60 to 80 people joining our meetings most months. Um, it's a fantastic resource. And I'm, I'm, it's one of the, you know, growing my company and being proud of it uh, and what we've been able to accomplish as a business. It's one of my chief prides, raising my daughter, et cetera. FM Disc is one of the top five largest things in my world in terms of, wow, stand back, Dave. This is a little thing that started in your office and it's a world-renowned FileMaker development group that just creates some of the best content in the world. So we're we're extremely proud of of our engagement and involvement and, and starting and helping to kind of foster this thing. It's a great resource for the FileMaker community. And when do you meet? We meet generally the second Friday of every month. We take off um, generally whatever month DevCon is going to be at or Claris Engage um, now. So, but um, you can go on to Meetup and just look up, you know, FM Disk, which is FileMaker Developers uh, in Southern California is what it stands for. And what uh, what time are the meetings? Um, I want to say we start kind of a, a, a networking at around nine thirty. Uh, Pacific time. It's uh, the the meetings uh, are at ten o'clock downbeat, so ten a.m. Uh, probably till about one p.m. And we'll generally do um, we'll do a break in the middle there. We'll usually have about three, uh, you know, anywhere from two to four presentations. But we're going to have three presentations. I think this next meeting is Ken Seawright showing off an error trapping uh, methodology he uses with FileMaker and. Oh God, was it GitHub or, or, or GitHub? I mean, or I forget it. It's a it's a third party web uh, toolkit that he's using. We're going to have Colleen Hammersley show off Brilliant Books, which is uh, Peter Macon's bookstore FileMaker database, and do a, a, a review on that. And I forget what our third presentation is. You know that Peter Macon and I were in partnership. We started of course. out in FileMaker together. Of course, I go back a long ways, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> So if somebody wants to present to uh, FM Disc, how do they go about submitting a, a concept or an idea for a presentation? Oh, just, you know, our board is highly available. So the board members, myself, Bob Shockey, Jonathan Reff, uh, Lynn Allen, and Barry Isaacson. So any of us, you'll see us at the meeting. You can reach out to us. You can go to the Meetup site and reach out to us there. And we'll periodically to our group reach out and go, hey, does anybody have any, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, popovers this next month who's got some really great creative ideas or we're looking to have a business topic on sales techniques you know who wants to help present or be on a round table or if you've got a uh, maybe a plugin or a product uh, that's helping you uh, with your filemaker development how would you like to do a little expose and and the other thing you don't have to be an expert if you're a junior presenter you're not super comfortable we've got senior people who we can stand next to you and go hey Let's do a co-presentation where somebody with a little more experience can kind of help you and wet your feet uh, into being a presenter and so forth. So we're very cognizant of 
some people want to try presenting aren't quite comp, you know, confident about it yet. Let's pair you up with somebody who's a co-presenter that's pretty experienced and can help you out. Great. Fantastic. So, so David, I've spoken, I believe at FMDIS three times and maybe attended a couple more yeah. meetings just because of the distance for me. And I, and I, and I've said this over the last 20 years, it's by far the most professional, most complete, most best spending of your time for for any and I and I have to use users groups to compare yeah. it to, to yeah. them because there's not very many developer groups out there. There really aren't. You're the only but but you know, so so you're going up against users groups and and honestly, I mean, you know, if I'm gonna go to and I don't go to very many developer groups or users group meetings except to present, but I was gonna spend the time, I would definitely go there because you guys just everybody's professional. I've been to, I've been to meetings before where the people are unprepared and they're, they, you know, and, and they're, they're just really not doing a good job. It's like, wow, you didn't know that, you know, well, how are you getting up here and speaking about this? That never happens at FM disc. It's always a super professional experience and I'd highly recommend it. Now, are there ways for people to view the meetings, even if they can't yeah, attend? Yeah. Since this last year, first, first and foremost, I'm going to reach out to you in front of everybody in the world right now and in the public eye, John. It's time for you to get back up there. We need to get you back up and see what you've been thinking or cooking in your kitchen. So I'd love to get you. Well, I was there. I was no, I'm there. talking present. Just I'm about, talking present, maybe. I did present. I was there. Bob Shockey invited me and I went and presented. Did you? Did I not see that? Yeah, on Execute SQL. And gotcha. I may, have, I may have missed the last. How soon the old guy got You know, that, may, I, I think I had to cut out of the last meeting. Was that the one with Heather on it? I, I didn't really, I didn't Got attend it. the meeting. That's, you know, I put all my effort to that, but yeah, no, it was, it was always great because the people are so smart yeah. there. You, you know, they'll help you out in the audience. I mean, I got help from yeah. people, you know, like, oh yeah, I, I've tried that. It was, it was a really great experience. The only next best experience would be dig yeah. FM, which is They're a great really, really well put together uh, users group meeting, maybe developers. Yeah. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. They're strong. They've been up in the Bay area. They meet out of the, I've, I've presented there a number of times and they, they work out of used to work out of the FileMaker wedge out of the arena there, so that was great. They'd get FileMaker engineers in the back of the room. Um, yeah, the the you know one of the things that's really interesting about FM Disk, you know, after attending twelve meetings, you're you know you're getting more content in the year at FM Disk than you are probably able to absorb in a single DevCon. And I remember uh, going to like one of my first. Uh, pause on errors and John, John and Ernest, who who kind of run that, dear friends of mine, they're very close with me, and and they do great work with pause on error, and they've built a nice brand there as well. But uh, it was funny because I would see people who were like, "Oh my God, this is the most amazing thing!" And you could see all these solo developers that just had this thirst for knowledge between developer conferences, and it was because they didn't have something that we had like FM Disk, because FM Disk. Every month I'm going to a session there that I'm going, oh, my God, this is Wim DeCourt talking about server or Heather Winkle talking about design or Britta Rock talking with Andrew LeCates about marketing. Uh, these are, you know, we get some good, strong content. So it's a it's a great resource. And it's a way to, again, instead of gorging yourself once a year at a big conference, it's a great way to take a bite every month about uh, towards keeping yourself fed and nourishing your technical chops and business findings and trends in the industry and so forth. So it's a great little way to kind of stay engaged and stay involved uh, between some of the bigger events that happen in the FileMaker world. David, I can't find FM Disk on Meetup by just doing a search for it. Would you mind sending me the uh, Meetup link, please? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think if you were to probably type the word FileMaker, uh, you'll probably see it pretty quickly. Let me have a look. Um, and it, it stands, I don't think we ever defined as FileMaker developers in Southern California. Right. Let me look for FileMaker. And so if you didn't know, if you thought it was FMDISK, Just, any of our listeners, it's not as FMDISC is what it is. And it's .org, right? Um, I don't even, I, I don't recall if we've got the domain still. We, you know, we kind of threw in pretty heavy with Meetup. We've got our own sort of groups.io. Uh, that's the other thing too, is if you come to an FM disk meeting, sign up, you're now a member, you're on a pretty vibrant, you know, our chat list um, is really strong. It's, you know, a lot of, you know, we've got Stephen Blackwell and Wim DeCourt and myself and, and other people, numbers of platinums and, and top, tier talent in there, you know, Darren Terry's in there answering technical questions all the time and so forth. So you can bring, you know, it's a very vibrant community. People raise their hand and get really good feedback from the community in there. So it's a great way to stay engaged as well. Absolutely. A great way to spend your time. You think that, you know, going to these, some of these means you're like, I didn't learn anything. You'll learn something at FM disk. Trust me every time. Yeah, it's not finding you. So um, I can't find you on the maker or whatever, but that'd be great. Yeah. So let's let's wind down with some some fluffy questions here, kind of just to exit out of here. And and I'm sure you saw that uh, that Claris moved out of yeah. the wedge. They've been there for what thirty three decades. Oh, it's been a while, right? Um, in this this iconic building in in Santa Clara, it's it's a beautiful building. I love it. And I, I was like, you guys moved, and now they're over in an old Apple building which doesn't have the same appeal. I'm sure it's a nice building, but it's not the wedge. Uh, any thoughts, anything that come to mind when you think about that? I mean, it just, it's the end of an era for me. So. Yeah, I think you, you actually worked in that building, did you not, John? I never actually worked in that. I worked in the building across the parking lot, which they got rid of years ago because that's where they stuck all the tech support and the software uh, quality assurance got it. guys. Yeah, so. yeah I've, spent, I've spent many a day, you know, in training and sales and visits, uh, a number of sort of, you know, they had some skunk works groups that would meet kitchens that would meet with Rick and the, and the team there. So been, you know, spent a lot of time yeah. in that arena and eating in the cafeteria a bunch. So yeah, there's, there's some good memories uh, wandering around the wedge all those years. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a big piece of property. Uh, I think they've got more people working remotely. I don't think they have quite the size needs that they've had in the past. So I think them, and they're leaning more. I think the company is leaning more on, you know, legal and HR and internal IT. I think a lot of those they're leaning on Apple for a lot of that stuff. So it makes sense for them to be associated with right. an Apple campus. To to be honest, you know, one of the things I would say about FileMaker, uh, Claris and the FileMaker platform, anything that they can do to uh, stay close to Apple, I would welcome. I think it would be fantastic if Apple would show a bit more uh, shine a little more light on FileMaker. You know, when you go to the business sites on the Apple website, you, you Google, if you go to the Apple website anywhere and just kind of type in the search criteria for FileMaker, there's not, a, there's two boxes. They'll show you, oh, you can buy Pro, Pro Advanced and, and here's an upgrade to Pro Advanced. But there's not a lot of uh, flag waving that Apple owns FileMaker. And I think if Apple and FileMaker were to rekindle their love uh, for each other. I think it could be good things for, for Claris to do that. I think it would be fantastic. Put a copy of FileMaker on yeah. every yeah. Mac. And I, every iPad and every iPhone. For God's sake, I mean, how difficult is it? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a large movement right now of people that are raising the hand going, hey, 
could we, you know, you get FileMaker for free on the app store on the mobile device, but you can't author, you know, I think a $540 price tag to start tinkering with a product uh, is, is a high price to get started. And, and a 30 day free trial is great. Uh, but some people can't get a lot done in 30 days. So I think, I think I'd, I'm a big fan. I think there's others in the community that really like the idea of getting a free or freemium version of, of FileMaker Pro Advanced out there to get the new crop of people who are bitten by the same bug that the three of us have been, right? Yeah. To, to start authoring and playing and going, oh my God, this is great. I could do this for my company. Now let me get my boss to buy a server and 20 more seats and let's turn this thing into a business solution. So I, Cause that's where Claris makes the money, yeah. right? They don't make it on the onesies, twosies that they sell. They make it when somebody develops a solution and they get a license. And so it just makes sense. I'd, I'd hope that uh, Claris is listening to this and would, would take our advice. Cause it would, I think it wouldn't, there, there, there'd be no end to how people would use FileMaker and, and, and they're always talking about, let's get the new crop of developers yeah. in here. And it, yeah. it would be great. But Brad, I will say that Brad was very, um, aware of the need to get more new developers in and i think it's something they're definitely thinking about now how yeah, that they, will... they as a company very focused on that they're asking the right questions they're looking at that very very much to start sprinkling seeds that are going to take take root and grow a vibrant community because they see you know there's a lot of older developers not a lot of youth but uh and so some of that could be through education offerings uh, training, uh, other, you know, engagement with, with schools and so forth. I just feel like airdropping FileMaker Pro Advanced all over the, I think if you flew over college campuses and just dropped it with little parachutes all over the place, uh, I think you're going to get, a, you're going to naturally get a lot of people that are going to tinker and play. And next thing you know, they're building stuff and customers go, oh, I can use that. Uh, and I think that's how the weed, you know, we've seen that weed, right, John, that tiny little thing in a department at a company that one person builds and everybody starts to use and then other departments clamor for it and so forth. FileMaker's got that great ability. Right. It grows like yeah. a virus. It's a, probably a bad example yeah. in yeah. this day and age. But, but, but you it's know, a you good virus. But it's a good virus. Inside the company who builds a little FileMaker solution and then all of a sudden everybody's using it and now they have to license it. I mean, those days seem like they're gone because who's going to spend 550 or bucks? Or buy five user, five user license, which is the other problem because that's $1,000 out the pocket straight out. Yeah. And you, yeah. you know, do you buy that before you even know it's going to work for you? That's that's the weakness. Yeah, that's that's you know the drug dealer, right? Let me get you high the first time, and then you'll pay every time after that. <laughs> uh, I think if FileMaker has to trust that their product is engaging and people love working with it, and they do, um, so let's get them let's get them with some skin in the game. Let's get them building stuff that they love that they start wanting to share with people. You know, I, I don't know that FileMaker is going to make, you know, Claris is going to make a lot of money by going, hey, I built a little CD uh, or a Rolodex for my recipe cards or whatever. I don't think they're going to make or lose money on those people. But somebody who's going, hey, we're trying to keep track of our inventory uh, of uh, projectors at a college campus and they're taking them in and out of conference rooms. And how do we do that? Well, I'm going to build this little thing and it seems like it's going to work and people look at it and go, how can I use this? And you go, well, we got to put it on a server. Yeah, it's, it's adoption. It's always been. And I remember when I first started out in 87, I picked up a copy of FileMaker 2 or FileMaker Plus at the time. And I went, oh my God, I'm in love. I'm absolutely right? in love. And 34 years later, I'm still in love. You know, hey, that's pretty a pretty good uh, illustration of how powerful it can be once you get it in people's hands. That's right. Now we're now we're watching people make pong 
games with it, you know, et cetera, right? So I just wanted to go out on this memory of the wedge and make sure everybody is aware of, of how things have changed. I mean, I, I, I taught many, many, many classes in their auditorium. Uh, that's where Dig FM meetings go. I don't know where they're going right. to go now. Um, you know, the kitchen was there. If anybody knows about the kitchen, those, uh, you know, where they, we saw pre-release software. I mean, we made some big impacts there and, and it, it's kind of sad to see it going. And some people say, what's the big deal? It's just a building for, for me. Um, having my, my Nerf arrow that I had written scud on the side, hung up inside somebody's office and they had no idea where it came from. <laughs> that to me is a yeah, memory, yeah. you know, I'm like, do you know, there's a penny, there's a quarter stuck in the end of that. That's right. I, I sliced it open through the quarter and put a little piece of tape over it. And that way I could chuck it harder. You know, that those are the, those are the days that will never come back again. And, and they just feel a little reminiscent. Yeah. There's a little nostalgia. You know, I think I look at old versions of FileMaker and I go, Ugh, remember when we only had 15 different script steps that we could, right. you know, that we could use, but we made it do a lot. I also look at the people at FileMaker. There's some really fantastic people there. You know, Teresa Buckles was, is a good friend of mine that I met there and love what Terry Barwegan did when he was the product manager of server and, and Heather changed the culture by adding. So I look at the, the places, the people, the product versions over the years. I have great fondness for all those things. And, and again, there's some great things coming yeah. as well. Uh, so, so who's to say that the new facility isn't going to be even better for them and maybe give them greater exposure to their Apple brethren and that that could be a positive influence too. So. Yeah, no, you got to yeah, move forward yeah. for sure. And so I get that. It's just I wanted to do yeah. a remembrance of the wedge and, uh, you know, let people know about there's a picture of it on my website. Um, uh, so, you know, good, take a look at it. But I got to tell you, it's been unbelievable. I, I, I should have asked you a long time ago. I just thought you're too busy to come on the podcast. But this is unbelievable, especially uh, your information about how to treat employees. That was that was earth shattering the, how well you put that because you do that on a daily basis. That's you. And that's how you do things. And that shows by how, you know, all these people are at your company for 15 years. So, uh, you know, hats off to you and, and thanks for spending some oh, time with us. Really great talking to some guys that go back as far as I do and even further, Michael. So thank you. great, great hanging with you guys. Very fun. And always happy to, to chat with you guys. So thank you for having me. It's been really fantastic and fun. Well, David, you know, it's you and I have met on occasion at, uh, in passing at DevCon, but we've never actually sat down and had a conversation and I thoroughly enjoyed this one so thanks again for coming along always and yeah david's one of those guys in the in the filemaker market that's just straight as narrow honest you can trust him he'll take care of you uh, i i don't say that about many people i i you know mark la rochelle michael richard these people i, I work with those are the people who are, who are not gonna you know mess around with you and so i appreciate having people like that on on this show and 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 you know emphasizing their work and how they do things so nice thanks. of you guys to say so and i appreciate that and like i said right back at you you john and i've known each other 20 plus and he's a real big part of how i succeeded early on and and now if I got to help prop him up every once in a while. I'll well, you know, we all have to do that, David. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting kind of old. I need to have some yeah. props, you know, to keep me from falling well, over. No, we've ordered you, John, we've ordered you a Zimmer frame. It'll be arriving soon. There we are. Nice. I need it. <laughs> Great fun, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, so David. thanks for listening. This is John Mark Osborne. 
Thanks for listening to Fireside FileMaker, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, this is Michael Richard signing off, and a big thanks to our special guest, David Knight. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.